Welcome to episode 46 of Zap to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I am joined once again by Graham Radding. If you have not listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week we looked at our second batch of games from issue 22 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were tortured by Tarzan, slapped around the gob by Scooby-Doo, and horrified by Howard the Duck. This week, we conclude our look at the games in February 1987, along with a special excerpt from our interview with none other than John Hare from our Patreon channel. So you've got that to look forward to. But before that, Graham, tell us what we have going on this month. In this painfully overpriced, tacky seaside gift shop full of branded unicorns, keyrings, and runic pebbles of an episode, we attempt a blatant castle break-in and burglary while trying to evade a six-foot lizard in the supremely challenging Escape from Singe's Castle, shake our crime-solving fists at the blocky crap sandwich that is Cobra, and deftly navigate the grey-on-grey space multi-storey car parks of the somewhat interesting Sigma-7. We also wonder what on earth is going on in the over-rotational and orbitally confusing DEFCOM, Consider if we might have found an actual, reasonably good arcade conversion with Terra Cresta before grabbing our fins, thrusters, boards and trunks for a trip to the blocky and utterly pointless beach in the salty Surf Champ. If that collection of keyrings with your name on hasn't quite hit the mark and you feel a personalised bookmark would have been a better keepsake, we also climb aboard the USS Simulator, ring the bell and shout full ahead as we prepare for the battle of the disk drive in the intense Destroyer, gather our intel, grab our best dodgy mates and plan a step-by-step heist in the brilliantly clever They Stole a Million, shout halt before becoming judge, jury and executioner for the gargantuan game turd that is Judge Dredd and revisit familiar slow monocolour isometric dullness in the tiresome molecule man on top of that we also head into a more slow moving vector crap with yet another deport in the uninspiring arctic fox explore the horned hatted troubles of a nordic rambo in the alarmingly familiar world of the vikings shout be gone foul demon at the ghost plane strewn world of the inherently stupid 1943 one year later before finally slipping into our best gold latex underpants ripping off our vests and having a good old grapple in the churlish Championship Wrestling. Oh my, some of these games are so stunningly bad you'll get intense brain strain and the worst ice shits you've ever had. AD, it will wear off eventually, but you'll need some new pants and possibly glasses. That's for sure. There are just too many games. I don't know what's going on. There's something in the water and there are too many games, which has caused this triple episode, which has just ruined the layout on the website and it's all just a nightmare. Um, (laughs) Bloody game developers in 1987 and they got nothing better to do well the question is what were they doing in late 1986 i think they were all just in their sheds just beavering away with their games was it really cold was it was it a cold winter i don't know but it didn't help the bloody programming skills did it it's been so <laughs> no. cold their fingers well, were shivering on the numbers because they got some of them digits went badly wrong <laughs> very badly wrong but hopefully maybe not wrong for our first game We 
because Graham, we went we went into the castle first of all, and we fought the dragon, and we went into its lair, and we rescued Princess Daphne. Now we must get out. So Graham, enlighten us. Tell us all about how we escape from Singe's castle. It's interesting, actually, escape from Singe's castle because. In reality, you actually decide to go back to Singe's Castle. So it's Castle, Singe's Castle. So it should really be called Return to Singe's Castle if it was honest about it. Because it should be yes, um, because that's the thing. So it, they, I think it's what's important to note initially that this isn't based on the official arcade of Dragon's Lair Two Time Warp. This is something different. So this is, um, I suppose, you could call it a side quill of sorts. <laughs> um, so it's set after the first game. So it's after Singe's Castle, and obviously, as you say, you're playing the same characters. You're playing Dirk the Daring, only this time you're just going back into the castle because you want like get some more treasure. And this is sort of a very famous treasure in there, I believe, uh, which is, um, I think it's the Treasure of All Treasures. I can't remember the official name for it now, but essentially, anyway, you, you're going in there to sort of get this super treasure out. That's um, the which, laziest name for a treasure ever. I don't think it is that. I think it, I'm sure it has like a proper name, but I could be wrong. There's been that many games in February that involve treasure in one way or another, and it's been weird. I'll tell you, so anyway, so, I'll find out. Okay, so this has been created by Software Projects under the guise of John Danell and Steve Bertels, with graphics by Martin McDonald and Nicole Bakerloff. And of course, it features some classic Rob Hubbard music in there as well. Some some great little music in here, great tunes. According, according to the review, the going to get a magical pot of gold which gives unlimited wealth to its owner that's what he's okay. after there you go so a, a pot of gold he's after his pot of gold okay so this is a cycle and you have to basically go through there's eight been eight more levels have been designed in this and you've taken Dirk into this now these are loosely based on eight levels that actually were in the original Dragon's Lair arcade because obviously the Dragon's Lair arcade port that we spoke about before the original one took some of the levels of Dragon's Lair not all of them kind of did its thing with them and eight bitted them and made them into this kind of version and then we realized actually that was actually based on a another eight bit machine version so none of them none of those early eight bit ones were based on an actual arcade version of sorts and this is no different to that it, no. but it, what it does here I suppose is it embraces the logic of that and actually does what they should have done in the first first place which is to take those and just make some really good mini games out of them now there's tr- pr- problem with the original one is it didn't do that the mini games are actually pretty rubbish this one is a oral and graphical a bit more of a powerhouse i think they've learned lessons i think that's the one thing i would say about this game is that they've learned lessons from their first attempt so this one pretty much shouts at you when it starts mm-hmm. with the opening music and everything else so you've got eight levels in here that is each one is it's kind of plays the same so you've got like the you've got to move the joystick in certain ways and jump at certain times and avoid certain things and it's basically try they're like trial games really and they are really hard mm-hmm. so you start off in the river caves yep. where you've got to sort of um, float down in a riverboat avoiding the rocks by steering in the right directions and avoiding some of these deadly whirlpools i think this is one of the hardest stages of the whole game because it's mm-hmm. really hard you've got to, do, got to do that 14 times with that one mistake because if you make a mistake you die Thankfully, by the way, in that crazy dying screen that where they, he crumbles into the bones and then jumps, but you can actually skip that in this one. Another lesson they've learned. So assuming that you do ever make it through that past the 14 screens without floor, you then go to Boulder Alley, which is where you're being chased Indiana Jones style by a giant boulder. Really nice graphics and music and the way it all runs. Really, really nice game. And you've got to sort of avoid the obstacles as you run towards the screen. It's a very nice effect in that. Again, rock hard. If you get past that, throne room <laughs> is the next step. 
uh, where you've got deadly magic traps. Um, that is very similar to sort of it's, it's sidesteps and sword slashes, very similar to the kind of classic arcade style sequences. And graphically, by the way, all these have upped the ante, so the graphics are quite looking quite nice in this version. Similar kind of size of Dirk when he's on those levels, but the main Dirk sprite when you get to those and some of the other graphics have all been really quite nicely rendered and quite nicely drawn and the controls well realised. They're very responsive, albeit really hard. After the throne room, Dungeons of the Lizard King. Um, so you're pretty close to your goal at this point. But the Lizard King's laid a trap and he stole your sword so and put it near the pot of gold. So now you've got to sort of navigate this like maze. I found this level quite frustrating actually in there because it's one of those sort of multi-platform go through a door and you appear in kind of a similar thing and a bit of running around. And eventually, if you you know, you have to avoid the Lizard King who periodically runs up to you and hits you on the head with his, with his scepter. Now, the sprites here are also very good. Again, really, really great music, one of my favourite bits. After that, you've got the magical flying horse um, where you're riding on a flying horse, obviously, got to evade rocks, similar in sense to the river caves, but on a flying horse and avoiding rocks. Then you've got Doom Dungeon, which is another sort of do those things in the correct sequence and Dirk will survive. Again, leaning on the arcade. Mystic Mosaic is the one after that, or at least one of those, um, where you cross a room to get to two of one of two possible exits, only one of which leads to safety. But there's a catch. The floor is like a magical mosaic, which constantly changes shape into different patterns. And if you get past that, you get mud monsters, and you, you've got to try and um, escape but using this magic bottle, but it's in the it's in a certain long way from where you start in that scene, and you've got to sort of find your way across the gap and jump into the canyon and do stuff. So there's eight quite accomplished mini games there, all of them really hard, but all of them at least with the progression, with the graphics, and certainly with the audio to be able to really feel a bit more like a Dragon's Lair game. Now, as much as it's called the wrong thing, because it's not, you are, I suppose you're escaping, but you chose to go in there. I don't quite know how that works, but... <laughs> <laughs> so everything's been upped in terms of quality and game ante here. So the graphics and the game design and all of that has been significantly revamped and altered and it's made to look good. This is a good looking game. This, you can skip the death sequences. They've learned lessons from the first one and the music is genuinely brilliant for this. It's Rob but in really tremendous form for this. It really shouts Dragon's Lair. It's got a nice sort of castle. It's got a little bit of Master of Magic-y sounds in there. So it's, he's lent on that kind of that kind of value that he took from those kind of games. So it's got that kind of mystique about it. And it's a tough journey. So you're going to die a lot. Now, this game um, on the version I played was uh, like a disc version, I guess. So I didn't suffer the pain of a tape loader, which, again, uses the loading in the background trick. Now, what amazed me is how much more they got into their games using that method mm. by yeah, the look yeah. of it than they did in the first one. So, again, I think someone, they've hired in, either hiding some serious coders or they've learned a lot about coding in the interim time and really really up the ante there so i think this is a really really good game i always liked escape from stingy's castle on the c64 it was always a really good game it's always quite a hard one though but it's good and on the disc version i played it was quite accessible you quite you in straight away there's not a lot of messing about there's not a lot of wishy-washy you know it, you're straight into the action and you're straight in you can be you can be in and playing this game quite quickly without all of the you know get through that quick razzmatazz at the beginning and you're in that first level going down the river caves and suffering the pain and agony of you know getting to 13 and and then losing going ah so i think this is a well-deserved <laughs> sizzler yes. yeah. um, it's not gold medal material i think it's but it's well deserved um and i think it's a good game it's definitely worth going back to and it's certainly better than the first attempt and so again you're a long way off the arcade but i think this is what they should have done in the first place which was take those elements make them into really good mini games put the sound and get all of that and the playability in there get the everything rocking really really perfectly so that when you come into this game you're not really worrying too much about what the old arcade game and the you know the disc uh, laser disc game look like you're actually just focused on this really cool 
version of something it, it, it's a, it plays a lot better and i really enjoyed my time going back to that particularly at the music so i thought it was really good definitely worth the uh the score i think zap gave it a 90 percent, which is good for a game of this type you know um, niche dungeons and dragonsy type stuff for them and they hated the first one so good all good good start to this what about you yeah um it is a better game than the first that's that's unarguable Oh, inarguable. I think there's no there's no two ways around that. It rectifies all the issues that the first one had, and the the most the biggest one is the presentation. That loop of seeing Dirk fall to yeah. skeleton and just being able to click through it, and not just that, but being able to click when you you know when Dirk starts to uh, row into the first level, and you can just click the fire button, he's straight in. There's a much faster progression around this. It feels arcadian. It feels more responsive, and that's good. The visuals are a lot nicer. Um, the Boulder Alley one is particularly good. And I mean, it's not even worth commenting on the music. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just a really, really good suite of music from Rob Hubbard in comparison to the pretty, not very good that we had in the first game. So all that is great. My main issue with this game, and I do like it, it's just too insanely hard. It's insanely hard and frustrating, as you've as you've noted. That first uh, level where you're going through the rapids, it's just ridiculous. I, I got think through four screens um, once, and then just died, and then get sent back all the way to the beginning again. It's just so demoralising um, because because you just you don't get better at it um, because you can't get better at it because it's a mem- it's not a memory test; it's a reaction test. So you can kind of thingy, but you only get that. I don't even know what it is. It's like a quarter of a second to react. Yeah, it's, um, it's not much, or something. Is it? It's ridiculously short, and and it's that middle one where you can do three ways. Yeah. You know, to left, left, up, or right. And it just every time, or even sometimes at the bottom, you're like, I'm sure I pressed left. I'm sure I did, and I didn't. And I tried it on keys. I tried it on keyboard. I tried it with joysticks. Tried it, everything I had. Nothing seemed to get me through it. So I, you know, it is what it is. But it, I don't know. It's probably is it my. You know, I did it back in the day. I remember, I think I completed this back in the day. Uh, but now, you know, <laughs> I just, is it my 50-year-old reflexes, my nearly 50-year-old yeah. reflexes, and the fact, fact, that my, fact that my knees are bent and my eyes are tired, um, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Uh, it's probably that. So I get it. But it, I found it just a bit frustrating going back to it. I do like it. It's fun. And it's a much, much, much better game than that first one. It's just like, it's just punishing. I just think that, and I think you, you noted it as well. And I, I think just putting that level at the start is just a bit of a misstep in its structure um, yeah. because it's just too goddamn hard. If you, when you died, you stayed on the same screen, you know, your progress was at least something. That would have been something. But going back to the beginning every time and then you'd just die on the first screen again and you'd just be like, oh, God damn it. And you only got five lives. So, well, oh, what surprised so me? Quick. What surprised me? One thing that did surprise me about this is the one thing they never took from the arcade is the fact that you don't always start on the same thing. So in the arcade, if you die, you you start at a, one any one of the levels you can restart at because it's kind of a yeah. It's and random, I'm surprised, isn't it? but I suppose they couldn't do that because of the linear nature of tape loading and things like that. And I suppose it has to. I mean, on disc maybe they could have opt. You could have had an option to allow that. So you know what, just start you just do this at random. But I don't know. Yeah, I think yeah, they could have. The technology. It's a technological limitation. I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah, and that's a shame that they didn't in- inherit that because it would have been quite useful. And as you said, on a, on a disc version, it could have been it could have been implemented. I get it. It couldn't on tape because it's sequential. But it is what it is. I mean, for all intents and purposes, though, I think yeah, it's, this is a this is a, a good game, and I think ninety percent for what it's actually doing, and it is fun if just a little frustrating, and probably for fourteen, fifteen year olds back then, like myself, who could get actually through those levels because their reaction times were you know a lot lot faster. It's probably about right, and you know you're playing all these games a lot, so yeah, I think they're about right. But just going back to it now, oh, it's so frustrating, <laughs> so frustrating. I wanted it to be better. Yes. I wanted it to be more. You know, give me an easy mode. 
You know, I played Dark Souls and completed it. I played yeah. all the Dark Souls games, completed them. This just made me tear my bloody hair out. It is, it is punishing and unforgiving, but yeah, it is yeah. a tough old, not that one. Yeah, it is. But yeah, probably worth the ninety percent. Happy to start with, and it's a good one to start with. There's nine pieces of music Rob Hubbard did for that game. Nine. I mean, this doesn't show you the guy starts to become a bit more prolific. Nine just for one game. I know it's a, it's a suite, isn't it? It's a proper suite. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know, that's incredible. You, you don't normally get those, but yeah, and and each one is distinct. Fits the mm. fits the thing as well. I remember the the Mud Men one being particularly good. That yeah, bell noise. Yeah, it's it's just you know what it's a pat on the back this because this is an achievement. I mean, it's not often at this point. I can't think of a game where there's been nine pieces of thematic music for one game, which each one has been consistent of quality like that. So I wonder if this is kind of a first for that. But um, either way, well done, Rob. Well done, Mister Hubbard. All right, yeah. So that's Dragon's Lair. We like it. Dra- so not Dragon's Lair. What am I about Dragon's Lair? It's Escape from Cindy's Castle. It's Return to Cindy's Castle. It's like Return to Witch Mountain. Yes. Um, and Escape from Witch Mountain, or whatever those were, um, <laughs> the original Disney ones, or the ones with the Rock. Do you reckon the Rock would play Dirk the Daring in a film of uh, um, Dragon's Lair? Actually, I don't know. He's the right person for it. He, no, I think in that guy from more likely the guy who plays uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy, Star Lord, the guy that plays Star Lord. Well, Chris he, Pratt. He's everything. I know. There's nothing he's, wrong he's with that. Voice of Mario in the new Mario film. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I don't mind. <laughs> I think he'd be good. What about what about Drax? Uh, yeah. Or Vin Diesel. I want someone big. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> I just want someone big. <laughs> <laughs> Some someone big and well grown. <laughs> Speaking <Absolutely>. of that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, let's move along because we've got next one. Yeah, next is a big bodybuilder, isn't it? Let's move on to our next game, shall we? After all that talk. Because our next one, I am, no, I am the cure and something is the disease. Yeah. Um, that's what this one's all about. Uh, we're talking up in here about the C64 version of Cobra, which is the Sylvester Stallone film. We are now, we've now got the game of the film and I wish we hadn't. For some reason in my mind, I remember playing a lot of this and then I went back to it and I wondered if I was having some kind of Talladega brain wrong again. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> because what the hell is this? Anyway, you are Marion Cobra Cobretti. And as I said, crime is a disease and he is the cure. You are the cure. So it's a Stallone film. Um, It's a very mid-80s Stallone film, action film. Very. That is very, very action. Very, very mid-80s. Very, very Bridget Nielsen. Very, very ropey. And it's not very good. Anyway. We looked at it in episode something or other in the podcast, didn't we? We did somewhere way back in the midst of time. But how you? I want to know, right, just before we get into this, who coined that about him? Just in in his every, in the in the world of Cobra, who said, "Oh God, crime's a disease, and he's the cure." He is. Imagine someone saying that in reality about anybody. It's so stupid. You'd be like, "Shut up." Yeah, especially but especially because the, the members of the band, the Cure, aren't going to be too pleased about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but oh, we don't cry. <laughs> But yeah, they do. Uh, they would have this. Anyway, what have we got? Yeah, so this is a... Uh, right, it's the conversion of the Stone film with the same name. It sees you making your way through three levels to take on the Night Slasher and his horde of gang members. And that's in order to rescue the supermodel Ingrid Knutson, um, whom this gang have kidnapped. Good name. Yeah, it's a great name. So the three levels we find ourselves going through, we've got the streets, the woods, and the factory. Uh, and it kind of follows the basic premise of the film. There are, there are those locations in the film 
uh, somewhere, and that's kind of where it is. So this is, I'm trying to describe this. So levels are filled with weirdly dressed gang members who are armed, you know, armed with many things, knives, axes, guns, and other stabbing weapons, and so on. And what you have here is essentially a left to right scrolling shoot em, stab em up thing, which is, if you squint, similar in structure to something like Green Beret or you know, things come like, like Shinobi, Rolling Thunder, that kind of thing, where you can, you know, jump and levels and that sort of nonsense. Um, it's that kind of game, except it's just a whole lot more shit than any of those. Yep. Because this is dreadful, awful. And I don't know, like I said, my brain must have been highly accepted. I think it was the music, you know. It's that music, the Wii mm. Music tune is actually quite a good tune. And it's and also as well, I didn't realise that the uh Bit where he drives up in the car is the bit of music we use on the podcast. I never, actually, I, could, yes. I never, I never been able to place where that bit of music was from. <laughs> and it's so it it does not fit the game in any way, nope. shape, or form. Do 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 It's like why does he turn up to that music in that car? Mm. That's weird. So the issues with this game they are many and they are varied. So let's start with the controls. They're awful. They're unresponsive and slow. Let's move on to the visuals. Cobra's car is okay when he turns up in, and that's it. The sprites wobble about with terrible animation, um, and when they die, they flash weird colours before they, they disappear. What's that all about? I don't know. I thought that was weird. <laughs> what? They sort of go blue, orange, green, dead. <laughs> it's like yellow, yellow, white, black, dead. It's <laughs> really like, what, stupid. What the hell's going on? So, hey, the backdrops are okay. Uh, they're all right. There's nothing special there. The music's nice, but does not fit this game in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. I think they, nope. they asked for a piece of music for another game, and they were, that got cancelled, and they stuck this in. The, the terribly arranged, the levels are really badly arranged, and you have to pick up weapons as you go, because meaning that you start with your fist, and probably the problem with that is that any contact with any kind of enemy depletes your health immediately, even if you not punch good. them, which quickly sees you dead. The game starts with a motorbike coming out from behind you one touch kills you and the, the controls are so crap that it's almost impossible to jump onto the um yep. the trash can which you need to get onto to jump over it because they're so rubbish and so it because you'll just kind of get stuck on the trash can th th there's weapons to pick up yeah so more often than not you just die instantly and the weapons to pick up you got a gun a knife an uzi there's some grenades but they're all crap uh, and the explosion from the the grenades wouldn't scare a mouse it's no. the worst explosion ever it's the weakest explosion i've seen in a game for some time your health is a burger <laughs> which, is, which is one of the weirdest which is one of the weirdest sentences i've ever heard myself say <laughs> hey you your health is a burger <laughs> okay but it disappears so quickly and 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 hits from the axe wielding menaces or bikes just kill you instantly so there seems no point to it uh, this is dreadful. It's a genuinely terrible, terrible game. I didn't get off the first level because it's almost impossible to control and get anywhere with any kind of... You can't, you can't get better at this because it's, it's just unresponsive ass. A genuinely bad game and, and more. And, and we said this last week, or the, I think it was last week, more turgid ass from Ocean. What are yes, they doing? indeed. And simply uh, Nobra is what I've just written at the end here. <laughs> Very good. No bra. No bra. I just say no bra, yeah, but it's actually no bra. No bra. Yeah, this was dreadful. Dreadful. 13% uh, it got, which is on par with uh, Friday the 13th. And it probably is about right. What did you think? This is just shit. I mean, there's no way around that. I had never played it before. Now, there's a thing. I just hadn't. Really? No, I hadn't. I'd heard the music and I'd seen the film, but I'd never played the game. It just never came across my radar. And I think, I'd, and I think because I'd read the review in Zap, I think it's sort of one of those occasions when... Thankfully, Zap came to the rescue with its, you know, for Christ's sake, don't spend nine quid on this shite. So there's nothing redeeming about this. Do you know what baffled me here 
is that the people behind it, Zach Townsend, who did Army Moves, Batman and Platoon, the graphics are by Karen Davis, who did Shadowfire, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. That might, that might explain the flashing. Um, Enigma Force and Dante's Inferno. <laughs> yeah. We music did the music. So I've got a feeling that Ocean may be have reached out and got some kind of external production done for this. I don't know the full details of that, but either way, it's it's, it's a bit of an odd hybrid. It's Denton, isn't it? Denton Design. It, yeah, it doesn't help it in any way, shape or form. No. So you, what you end up with, as you've rightly pointed out, is this buggy, flicky, green beret-ish, Christ knows what. I mean, at least Bazooka Bill had the, you know, the honesty about how crap it was. This has got a, this is dressed in Cobra clothes. And, and I found that a bit, you know, this is again, yet more licensing stupidity. So I found at one point I was being chased by a pair of legs in this game, which was quite unnerving. Just blue legs just kept <laughs> running at me and ki- killing me. It was weird. It's got glitches all over the place, which made it unplayable. Uh-huh. I really didn't like it. What's to like? And there's an interesting thing. So I looked into the, the ocean book out there, the ocean history book, because I wanted to see if they made mention of this. And this is a quote, direct quote from the book from David Ward from Ocean. Cobra was okay. The game was okay. I don't think we made bad games. In the film jargon, we made formulate games, but only because you can't do some groundbreaking creative stuff every time. It became more of a sausage machine, which is why I was keen to nurture original stuff as well. So what that tells me is that they were literally the blind leading the blind here. They didn't give a monkeys about what kind of games they no. were pumping out. It was a license and therefore just strap a game to it and there'll be enough suckers out there to pay for it. And this is just more proof because we've seen this ha- we've seen this now several times this is you know on back of highlander on the back of night rider on the back of all the others mm-hmm. this is just complete and utter garbage this game from there's nothing about it that's redeeming well actually that's not true the music is pretty good i'll give it that everything else yeah. everything else is completely rubbish and the idea of marion cabretti's energy being presented in a <laughs> burger I mean, that's just plain weird. Because you replenish that by picking up more hamburgers. I'm just like, there is no point in that film. I mean, if it was pizza, because there is a moment in the film where he, he cuts pizza with a pair of scissors and eats it. Which is one of the stupidest things I've seen it in is, the film but, but in it, a very you know, long time. It is ridiculous. But, you know, if you're going to make an energy meter in this, that would make more sense contextually than making it about burgers. And it's even they yeah. even refer to it as the burgometer. So it's, it's just, they didn't think anything. I mean, this is not a team of people working in a cohesion working together to create something really great. This is, uh, we've got a license, we need a game in, you know, six weeks, what have you got? And this is the outcome, you know, half-finished graphics, half-finished gameplay, half-finished logic, endless rubbish, naff, absolutely naff. Shame on you, Ocean, for releasing that. Shame on you. Mm. Yeah, it's garbage, isn't it? Yeah, rubbish. (sighs) Well, there you go. It was one of those ones, I knew it got a really bad review, but I was kind of hoping that I might have remembered correctly, but turns out I'm an idiot. Um... (laughs) Harsh. (laughs) Which, but fair, based on that nonsense. Let's move along. Let's move along quickly and no more burgers. Because we've got, another, we've got a space shooter coming up. We're into the depths of space uh, and we don't have Blake 7. We have... Sigma 7. Graham, what's Sigma 7? We do have Sigma 7. So Sigma 7 is quite an interesting game, actually. Although I seem to be starting everything off by saying, this is interesting, so I'm going to say something different. Sigma seven intriguing. Sigma 7 is a bit of a cracker. Bit of a hidden gem, really, in some ways. In other ways, not so much. This is created by Ron Jeffs. Ron Jeffs is the gate man that gave us the uh, the Critical Mass game. So, you know, that was the, you know, the Adventures of Brown in Brownland, wasn't it? So this is slightly different. It was the Yorkshire Pudding. It, it was the Yorkshire it was, Pudding it was, game. It was, it was the C64 Yorkshire Pudding. So this is very different. This is totally not brown. This is 
this is spaceships and stuff. So it's great. Um, the space station Sigma Seven has got problems. All of its robots on board have gone bonkers and and started you know trashing the place. So you've got to set things right by using the controls inside the station to reset them and of course do that. So you've got a series of levels you have to fly through. And each one of those, so there's seven levels in the game, obviously Sigma Seven, and each one of those levels is split into three mini games. The first mini game is the approach. So it's like a diagonally scrolling isometric style shooter. Quite nice graphics actually. Um, it's a bit basic because you've sort of got to avoid the mines that are sort of coming at you in sort of formations of three or four. So you just got to kind of shoot them and avoid them. And then when you get through that, which is, it can be difficult, but you've got lives, obviously. But you get through that, nice graphics, a bit grey, but sort of grey, nice grey, for want of a better description. <laughs> um, not, you know, spaceship coloured. So after reaching the station, the second uh, phase kicks in. The second phase is a bit like a Pac-Man type game. So you are a little sort of cannon running around a sort of isometric-driven maze collecting dots. Um, so, you know, and that is essentially Pac-Man by definition. In fact, it's almost Crystal Castles-y Pac-Man type idea, really. But it doesn't have the maniac speed, stupid jumping, you can shoot things. So it's a little bit of that combined with perhaps a little bit of that sort of uh, three, uh, 3D slash isometric version of the Tron tanks thing. So you've got sort of things to, that will appear in there and chase you down. It's quite hard to get through it because you've got to try and collect as many dots as you can to open up the... Uh, the indicator changes colour, essentially. When it does that, you can actually go all... You have to go all the way to the end of that level to sort of go to the next phase. But you must remember that as you run around the floor space in there, some of those dots cannot be picked up. Why, you might ask. Why, Adrian, can't you pick those dots up? Well, I'll tell you, because that's important for what you need in part three. Phase three is a... It's a kind of a... It's a kind of a puzzle game where you have a... You're represented with a sort of an isometric grid of coloured lights that sort of flickering across, and you've got to change the colours colors on these on these tiles. So you do that by sort of, you've got like a little ball and you, you sort of hammer your ball down on top of them. And there's a thing that follows you around that if you hammer on top of that thing when it's underneath you, it zaps you and kills you. So you've got to try and avoid that. And so there's a bit of timing needed to sort of do all of that. But the main thing is that you've got to remember the pattern from phase two that was on the floor in the dots in order to replicate that pattern on the sort of next bit where you change the color of the tiles to the white. And when you do that and get okay. the pattern right, um, you complete that phase, you've completed that particular level and it's back to the beginning again and back to the sort of next level and it's just kind of the same thing again. So exactly the same thing again. So um, you've got those three sort of levels. So the, the first bit's a bit easy actually and the second bit is quite hard and challenging but interesting. The third bit, a weird puzzle game which if you don't remember what you didn't eat on the previous one, you complete, <laughs> you're completely screwed. You, you're knackered. You, you, you can't do it. So you're going to be dead. Um, so I think that that logic is a little bit stupid because it's not immediately obvious that you need to even remember those dots. You do think, why haven't I been able to pick those up? Because you're racing around in like Pac-Man. When was the last time you played a Pac-Man game and if you, if you didn't get to the dots, you didn't you thought, oh, it's because I can't eat them, not because I've just missed them. And I think mm -hmm. that's the problem. This They needed to be a different colour. They need to be an indication that those things were different to the other dots. Otherwise, you wouldn't know, to, wouldn't know the difference. And that's a problem of the game logic and the game design. So once you get through that, um, bouncing the ball on the patterns and creating the patterns and do all of that, it's just kind of go through and repeat. So essentially, you've got phase one, take off and fly and shoot stuff. Phase two, go through and eat dots and remember the ones you don't eat. Phase three, control the thingy units to switch it off so that you can so you can get through it. This is graphically quite nice. There's, there's decent presentation and there's interest, quite interesting gameplay dynamics in this. It's unusual, actually, this game. It's a bit odd. The music's actually composed by somebody called Julian Breeze. Now, Julian Breeze composed music mainly for the Spectrum 128, actually, 128K. And I think this is actually a game that's on the Spectrum 128K, or I'm pretty sure there's versions of it on other platforms. Now, the music is arranged, as per the credits on the game, by Rob Hubbard. And he did the same with Thanatos. The Thanatos music in the, in the, in for the Spectrum version is by uh, Julian Breeze and arranged by Rob Hubbard again. 
So there's so the music is quite nice and in this unusual piece of music actually. Um, sound effects are kind of okay. I quite like Sigma Seven. It's kind of different. Some of the objects around fly around a bit crazy speed, so when you do get blown up a lot and you do die a lot. So um, this is uh, this is quite a, a, an interesting game overall. I'm not sure that the price is probably right for this because it's 9.95 full price. Got 70% in Zap, which is about there. Take a punt if you think it's any good. If you like that kind of thing. I quite liked it, and I thought it was okay. And I don't normally like isometric games, but I think it was varied enough. The funny thing about this was there was a really funny little piracy thing that came up. Did you see that at the beginning when you started? Yeah, the games, oh god, yeah, yeah. Now, if I'm, you find I'll anyone with that. this pirate, you know, send us, send us in, dob them in, and we'll send you hundred quid and an actual legitimate copy of the game. I wonder if that ever happened. I doubt it. <laughs> anyway, that was my thoughts. So Sigma Seven, it's about seventy percent okay. So Sigma seventy percent. What about you? Uh, it's all right. Yeah. It's okay. I just get. I'll get. I'm getting like this is like um, uh, Escape from Cindy's Castle. Like I kept getting annoyed that I kept dying and getting put at the beginning of the level. Yeah, frustrating. And, and the level, the level is randomised, so you can't. We'll come to another one which does it later on in a couple of games actually, which I don't mind because of a certain type of thing. But this one just keeps randomising it, so again, you you can't learn it. Don't mind getting sent back to that level if I can learn what's coming up, so I can plan for it. Randomising stuff, no, don't like that. So this is yeah. So what is this? You got Zaxxon meets pac-man 256 yeah um, yes actually yeah um meet and i never got past the backpack thing and i didn't even know i kept going over the dots that weren't being picked up going why can't i pick them up yeah because <laughs> I, I didn't know you couldn't and so and then i died and i was like oh okay well there you go so yeah you've got to clear a maze of dots you got to fly through a zaxon instead it was the bit in space in it so it's the yeah, middle yeah. part of zaxon yeah where you don't go through the tunnel or whatever yeah and that's it it's okay I mean, it's technically quite nice, but um, and the graphics are okay. They're a bit grey, but the isometric view is quite nice. The spaceship's okay. The animation's all right. It, nothing, there's nothing bad about it. So it's, it's an okay. It's an okay game. I just found it weird that the game seemed more interesting in making sure that I didn't copy it than anything else. <laughs> because not only was that thing at the beginning which said, you know, and, but uh, did you notice by the way that they said they'd only give you a hundred quid if they could prove that it and get yeah. a prosecution from yeah. it. So if they didn't get the prosecution, you ain't getting your hundred quid. Yeah. But then in the actual game itself, it goes, uh, yeah, pl- pl- don't you know, make sure you've got a legitimate copy of this or whatever. There's another warning, isn't there? there's another bit. Yeah, there is some. And there's yeah. re- and the repeated and and also. Here's a weird thing, which I thought about this game. Push forward to start. Yeah, that was What's that all about? Yeah. <laughs> I can't press fire. I'd always press fire. Why would I push forward? <laughs> what nonsense is this? And that big that big SS or Jurel logo that kept coming yeah. up and going down. It was like, yeah. oh, yeah, get off. <laughs> Just there was, there was too much. Because every time you died, you got warned. Have you copied this? <laughs> it was like, no. Well, I haven't copied it. Te- well, we had. <laughs> well, technically, well, technically we have. That might be yeah, where it was appearing. <laughs> Technically, we have, but you know, 30, I'm going to dob you in. <laughs> See if I can get my hundred quid. I'm ringing yeah, do them up. It. I, I know someone who's got it. <laughs> they've got a dobby. They've got a dodgy copy of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all right. It's yeah, seventy percent. It's 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 neither fair nor foul. It's just anything. It's just, yeah. It's just all right. It's just in the middle. It, it, but ten is too much. Yeah, I think I'd be I'd put be happier in, if this budget. Put this yeah. in a budget suit. And uh, I'd have been like, wait, yeah, this yeah. is a really good budget. I'd have been a bit more thing. forgiving over it. If you don't remember these dots, you can't do it thing. I'd, I'd, in, in a similar vein, I'd, I'd rather go play. I'd rather been more happy playing Panther. Yes, you know, yes, sp- yes. Spam tin, spam tin isometric adventure yeah. over... Mops. Yeah, roll mops. Yeah, roll mops in a tin over yeah, <laughs> over this. But that, that's what this is. You know, it's in that sort of isometric shoot 'em up. Uh, Zaxxon, blue, blue Max, all yeah, those kind of things. It it's, it's, it's those in it. But it's, it's all right. I'm not. It's, it's there's not a lot to it apart from being warned that I shouldn't copy it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I took away from this. I didn't. Well, don't, I did. Don't you go but, copying you know, this? 
<laughs> oh, you. Have you covered it? No. I mean, I'm yes. not being funny, Mr. Uh, Sigma 7, but it, you've not created like something that's pure gold there. You know, it's. Uh, <laughs> no. It's, it's, no, it's just saying that, you know, it's, it's, it's good, but yeah. it's, not, it's not necessarily that good. And all no. you're really doing, by the way, if you're going to do things like that, is you're just opening the. It's like opening a. ringing a bell for all the crackers, game crackers out there back then. And if you're saying, don't you dare copy yeah. this game, it's like you may as well just give it to them. <laughs> so yeah. here you go, I'll tell you what, you have that. <laughs> It's very true because they'll just see it as a challenge. Well, yeah, they will, and they'll just you know, and if, if, if he's put elaborate protection in that, that's their their, their, their duty at the time was to get rid of that. <laughs> true, it's like a nectar, isn't it? It's like flowers to a bee. Yeah, it's like oh, absolutely. copy protection. Exactly. Anyway, yeah, Sigma seventy percent. I like that. That's good. Yeah, that's about right. Yep. Let's move on to our next one, which is more shooting in space. But yeah. This one, another 995, scores exactly half of Sigma 7, 35%. This is DEFCOM. <laughs> what do I say about this? <laughs> My first comment on this is some games just leave me at a loss as to point of them. <laughs> I yeah. don't understand this game. No. I don't. At what point did anybody go, yeah, release that? Because that's clearly a game. Because it's not. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Anyway, we'll come to that. Defcom is set in 2056, and you play Nick Diamond. Good name. Which is clearly a cross between the uh, Good Morning TV presenters, Nick Ross and Nan Diamond. <laughs> it is, yeah, totally. <laughs> so they've obviously been sat there trying to think of a name, and they've been early up early one morning. They've gone, Nick Diamond. What about Anne Ross? No, it can't and be you know, Thinking Nick about Diamond. it, though, on the back of uh, the fact that we watched The Fly last week, if you put those two in those chambers, what, <laughs> what would come out? If you, if, if you blended them in their DNA, you'd... you'd what would a Nick Diamond, Diamond actually be? I don't know. Uh, I don't want to think about it. I don't either. No. She'd have her, it'd be her massive jumpers, only <laughs> half of them. God, it's just terrifying. It is really, yeah. Nick Diamond, <laughs> <laughs> sequel to The Fly. <laughs> anyway, so you and you pilot the catchily titled uh, spaceship, the E seven five one, which uh, sounds like sounds like a food coloring. It probably uh, is. <laughs> so he's looked at his tin of sardines, and while he, while he while you know sat sat watching breakfast TV, <laughs> looking for names. What's in this? E seven five. I'll do. That'll do. And you have to protect the Earth from space debris from the orbital defense system. I think which has been sabotaged by passing aliens, and you have to from pass it, and you have to protect from the the aliens themselves. It's like some really old rubbish arcade game. These aren't rubbish, but like, but it's like a rubbisher older version of these, like Gyrus, yeah, Rangia yeah. Gyrus, and Galaxians. That yeah, that kind it's of got that crap. vibe, yeah. But it's in a slightly three Ds fashion. But I thought the aliens looked like Quality Street sweets. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that they did. They absolutely did. Yeah, <laughs> they looked. That's what they looked like, and they moved. But they moved at such a pace, it was impossible to hit anything. Yes, it was. You couldn't do anything. Your bullets are too slow. Your two bullets are too slow. The aliens are too fast. Nothing works. You see, only get one life. And I tried it because in the review. Julian Rignall says you can survive if you just go to the left, to the left and hold yeah. down the fire button. And I tried it, and I did for ten minutes. It's ten minutes of my life I'm not getting back. It's longer than I took when I when I just didn't play Zeno <laughs> the other week when I just down tools and buggered off. This time I couldn't down tools because I had to hold oh it to the Lord. to the right because because that's the other thing. Right moves you left, and left moves you right. Don't don't. don't. What is this game? 
anyway, the, to the view of the game, you, you've got your ship. It's over the Earth. The Earth is rotating or something underneath you, like at the bottom little bit of the screen. Um, none of it makes a lick of sense. The game seems to offer no challenge or any kind of levels or anything. Messages pop up about aliens over parts of the world. They seem entirely arbitrary and everything is meaningless and pointless and not worth it. I don't know, it's a strange game bereft of anything I would actually call a game. This is like what a student would submit when they've just learned how to code something and gone, I've done this. Yes. And you're like, very good. Now go away and make something playable that works. <laughs> um, because I, what what do you make of what 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 do you make of something that's not a game? Mm. Because it's not a game. There's nothing in it that works. Ah, what did did you did you know did you manage to make it work? No, well, I don't know I mean it's loaded. And I, <laughs> I, it started now. I don't know if that constitutes meaning it's a game. I mean, I, I rotated round badly, shot at things badly, couldn't hit, really hit anything because everything was kind of inappropriately speedy. The premise of it was stupid because the Earth's atmosphere would burn these things up long before they hit the Earth. But even if that wasn't yeah. the case, you're so far above the Earth. And by the way, you must be traveling at some speed because that Earth is rotating fast underneath you. So you're traveling at breakneck speed, presumably in orbit. Um, which means that you just got to wait for things to land in orbit. It's just it, everything's stupid. This is binary design, isn't it? These are this is the people that made Miami Dice. So I think they've spent oh, explains a lot. Far too much time shaking their wrists at each other. <laughs> um, and this is yeah. the result. It's just it was it was flicky, bitty, unenjoyable, and unplayable. Um, it was yeah, it was absolutely was absolutely awful. And it's got a jingly bit of David Whitaker music in it, or one minute two of it, or whatever it is. It's it's, yeah. it's ridiculously short. It's the only thing you can say is actually okay in it. Everything else was awful. Just rubbish. T- full price for this. Full price. I mean, just no. Just no, 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 no. But we've seen this a lot, this, these episodes. There seems to be so much of this mediocrity at full price. In fact, this isn't even mediocrity. This is full-on crap. And there's a lot of it. And I think this, you know, this is, as much as this has been a series of episodes, three episodes of the podcast, there's been a lot of crappy games in there. Um, yeah. So and, I, and you know this, it's starting to really wear me down after this this many because this is just another one where I loaded it up and the big scrolly thing came and I'm like oh here we go here we go and then I read the blurb and I'm like oh I'm somebody called Nick Diamond flying an Eagle class E seven five one over Earth and just that you know what apparently is if you collect a thousand whatever you get an upgrade to double lasers I never got that far into it I just kind of I, at one point I just, my my spaceship just disappeared as I as I was rotating it just vanished I'm like what where am I. Have I I put a shield on? And it was just bad. It's just bad. Bad game. Rubbish. Waste of time. I feel sorry for anyone that bought that for $9.95. Please, I hope that Zap's review thwarted any purchases before it got into someone's hands. I do. That would really punch you in the face, wouldn't it, if you bought that? Oh, you would if you got the the grand double bill of that and the bloody... um, And, you know, imagine it's your birthday around this time. God forbid you've got (laughs) Defcon and Cobra. Cobra. My God. (laughs) Jesus. You know, it explains why there's a lot of serial killers coming out of the mid-80s. <laughs> why did you kill people, Cobra? <laughs> Cobra. Defcom. I played this game called Defcom, and it angered me so much that I had to murder someone's dog. And then that just began the whole process. After that, I thought, well, why stop at dogs? Why stop at dogs? Indeed. I just went all, 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 I went all the way up to elephants. I went all the way up to elephants, yeah. That'd be weird. Serial killers start, don't they, on little things. Sort of thing. Imagine if serial killers started on big things, you know, killing rhinos and... Elephant. Well, it'd be more obvious because they'd have to go in the UK. They'd have to be climbing the walls of a zoo with a axe. <laughs> the zookeepers looking at going, uh, "Have you got? A, are you meant to be there?" <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes, I well, am. Carry on then. Carry so, on. Then. Well, just you know what? Just stay off the grass, all right? Because we're just you know just <laughs> we'll just moan it. Is that is that axe sharp? Oh, so sharp. All right. Okay. Right. right, right. <laughs> I'll, so I'll leave you to it then, mate. See you later. <laughs> See you later. I'm going to go back and read my viz. Yeah. 
That's it, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, there we go. Defcom, it's crap. <laughs> yes, crapcom. <laughs> it really is. Let's move on to uh, a next round. It's another shooter. So let's see what's coming up. So Graham, we have an arcade conversion from the arcade conversion masters, perhaps. Terra Cresta from Magent. Tell us all about Terra Cresta. Okay, I will. Now this is coded by David Rambo Collier. That isn't that isn't the name he actually gave himself. By the way, I've given him that because he made he coded Rambo. So I don't. Maybe he looks like Rambo. I don't know. And it's got uh, <laughs> Steve Wahid on the graphics. So it's it's a good good triangle of coder graphics and music with Martin Galway doing the sound here. So. Mm-hmm. All those things are good. This is an old arcade from our friends at Nichibutsu again. So, um, and this is one of their big arcades. Now, interestingly enough, this was actually a follow-up to another game. And this was a follow-up to a game called Mooncrester. Now, Mooncrester mm-hmm. is a game that we have missed in our reviewing because it was actually in issue two of Zap 64 back in June 85. And for some reason, it's not in our episode two of the podcast. Uh, I think at that point we weren't reviewing everything. Yeah, so we might have to go back and revisit and make sure we know there's a few we might miss there. But So Mooncrestor was one of them. So I'll tell you what, I played Mooncrestor because I thought, well, let's do this the right way. So I went back and played Mooncrestor. So very quickly, Mooncrestor was an arcade game developed by Nichibutsu. <laughs> in 19, you don't say. In 19, <laughs> I think it's 19, might be 1980, I think. It's quite, maybe not as early as that, but it's an early one. And it's basically a Galaxi, Galaxian-style shoot of its time, of that time of sort of shooter. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very much uh, aliens in a pattern spinning around. You have the space. You've got a spaceship. Um, your spaceship's in three parts. So you start up with a little top section. You shoot, you shoot, shoot. You blow things up. If you die, then the second section comes in. You've got double bullets. And then the third section of the spaceship comes in if you die. So you've got three lives. And it's that kind of... It's very much a Galaxian's pattern-based shoot-em-up um, a la sort of like Space Invaders idea. So it's that. And the C64 version of that is actually pretty good. So it's it's reasonably faithful. It's a bit slower than the arcade, it has to be said. But... The waves and patterns of enemies are there. It's quite simple in its design. The graphics still look pretty good. And it's so it's it's quite a nice touch with the spaceship being in three parts. It scored 78% in the original zap, and they said it was a good conversion, and it was. So that was Mooncrestor. So Terracrestor is the sequel to that. So in Terracrestor, you pilot a you know, space fighter over a planet to kill everything you can. Um, now, it says in one particular discussion about this that the the creature, the, creature the, the giant thing you fight at the end is called the Death Star. In others, in the arcades, you're, the name of your spaceship is actually the Wing Galiba, and you've got to destroy the Mandala army before they destroy all of humanity. In the C64, that isn't kind of the premise, it's sort of that. So in this, in the C64 version, you're the captain of the Terra Cresta, which is the ship you're in, and you've got to fly and uh, shoot up, fly upwards, shoot up, fly up, and eliminate everything that comes in your path, be it objects on the ground, sort of structures, and alien patterns, and alien waves. So you can collect, uh, there are little bunkers, silos that are on the ground, numbered bunkers, and you can collect those and actually builds, you can build up your ship to become a bigger ship. So you can go into formation mode. And when you do that, you form into a bigger ship and you collect bigger power-ups and you can shoot, you know, in different ways and you have much sort of more powerful capacity. And each at the end of the levels, as you get to them, you're confronted by a boss. Uh, so you can use your Terra Cresta form to sort of shoot at that. The final boss that you face, the most powerful one of all, um, you can only beat that when you're in full Terra Cresta form, so you've got to make sure you've powered up and got all the power-ups that you can throughout the game. Um, so the arcade is based, basically the same. The C64 version of this isn't actually that bad a conversion of the arcade. It's a, Obviously, it's never going to have the fidelity of graphics of a, a full-blown arcade hardware, but it's, it's, not a bad, it's not a bad version. It's competent and it's challenging. It's a decent shoot-em-up. The, so the graphics, while not wholesalely amazing, are reasonably rendered. It looks a bit like the arcade, plays like the arcade. It's got some really nice enemy patterns and a good arcade tone. The music and the tone of the game is good, and the sound effects, are, if they're a bit squeaky, 
because they're a bit more bassy in the arcade, but there's but they're still good. Um, it's really hard, of course, because it's based on an arcade logic. And I think it's one of those arcades, again, that's actually taller than it is wide, but this sort of get, actually gets the balance about right, even though it is doing that, and you still feel like you're playing a, a, an assembly of the game, and it's quite good. I found the idea, when you die, you just start at the beginning of the stage each time, quite frustrating. But ang- it angered me over time, because <laughs> you get so far, and then it's back to the beginning. You get so far, back to the beginning. Now, that's totally unforgiving. You, know, you lose everything, you're back to the beginning again. It's like, oh my God, just start me from where I left off, please. So I suspect that's inherited from the arcade. I don't think this is a game where you've got continues in the arcade. It could have. I have not actually played the arcade original for, for many, many years. But either if it doesn't, this C64 version doesn't have that. So it is very difficult, very frustrating. Great music, title music in this. The sound, SFX art's good, but the opening music for this is pretty damn good. One of, you know, one of Galway's really interesting sort of uh, pattern-based sort of music that he does. Really interesting. Big sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an above, another above-average shoot one, but it's certainly better than the... Zevius is and there's you know and some of those other types that we've seen like this it's better than that a lot better and i think it helps that it was based on a good solid arcade that set its constituent uh, constituent rules and laid them out nice and simply for all to see and they've just followed the followed the you know followed that pattern they haven't tried to make it more complex or do anything stupid it just does what the arcade did and i think that's to its credit so i quite liked it although it is so annoyingly hard and this has been the episode of really tough games so between this and <laughs> Escape from Sinji's Castle, I was borderline lobbing my joystick out the window <laughs> at times. Um, I think I don't think I think I think this one I give this one the edge because I don't know between the two I was I was starting to lose the plot a little bit. So it's a good shooter. I think it got fifty odd percent, which I don't know. I think I, I think maybe it's I think it's a bit better than fifty six percent. I'd have perhaps pushed it up a little bit, but I can see why maybe they they're a bit tired of these kind of things because there seems to be a few of them have come out at once. But I thought it was all right. I quite enjoyed it. The music's great anyway even if you don't like much else. So uh, what about you? Yeah, I, I really like this. Um, I've always liked the, this conversion. I thought it's great. Um, 56% is a is a travesty as far as I'm concerned, because this is as good as Light Force as I'm, as I, as I'm concerned, as a vertical scrolling shoot 'em up it's a, it's a solid and it's as good because they said it's, it's, this is as good as the arcade game. The arcade game is a good, solid vertical scrolling shoot 'em up Yes, it is hard, but... In lieu, lieu of that, it's a pattern-based game, so you can learn where stuff comes, so you can figure out, you know, you know where to be on the screen, so it becomes a bit of a memory test, and that is, you know, like a lot of shooters, is kind of how, how you get through these. They become pattern memory memory recognitions, and so once you figure out, right, I need to be here for that, here for that, that for that, do for that, and you can get through it. So for me, it's not, uh, yes, it is by the guys who did uh, Rambo sort of thing, but I'd also, you know, they did Green Beret as well, so it's the Green Beret trio. So we're on for good stuff here, um, and I, I really like it. It's a uh, it's a bit bare bones in the presentation. I think they could have maybe done something around the edges. It's a you know this. Uh, I quite like the fact the scores in the border at the top, but you know it's a bit that title screen. It's a bit empty, isn't it? It's just uh, some names. There's no real thing. Yeah. However, not much to it. that the, the music's ace, and what it does have is my singular favorite high score piece of music of any game. That high score music, I just is just uh, I love it. Oh, you've I've always, always liked loved that one. it. Yeah. I've always like it's just a, it's just great and I really do like it the, the music in this is yeah it's weird uh, strange because I think the main all the main interstitial stuff is all straight r- renditions of the arcade it versions is, yeah. which, totally. which are very similar I just put through the Martin Galway filter um, which you know infinitely makes them pretty be- you know better um, it's challenging it's very good it looks good it's it's just a solid solid shooter that I've always liked um, and, and this is when we've had there's one coming up later on in this episode, uh, which we'll talk about. Um, but when we've had, you know, stuff like 1942 get it wrong, it's yeah. nice to see 
this come along and get it right. And in amongst all the dearth of crap we've had from Ocean, that there are some people working, I know this is Imagine, but we know Ocean only Imagine, there are some people working there that are, are knocking these games out at quite a rate. And, you know, they've got a template and they know what they've got to do, so it's kind of handy to have that. But they're doing really good stuff. So this, to me, was a is a is a great game. And I really like the... Uh, uh, the uh, advert for it in the front cover as well. It's, it's, I think it's a Wakeland cover, is it? Um, yeah, it is. I mean, like it. It, it's got the presentation. It's really nice. It has. But um, Zap were critical of it for its... They say it's bo- They said it was boring over time. They said it's dull. Which, and I can see it. But, yeah, I can see but I, it. But, but I, I can see that, but Light Force is only four levels. Yeah. And it's I th- the same. I, but I, no, I, I think that's the point. I think this just feels... Because it's slower, isn't it? So it feels that... I think the pace is just... I don't know if the pace is slightly off or they're just not, they've never seen a game that works at this kind of pace properly. Because the other games come along later down the line on the Amiga, even that have this sort of pace to them. And Swiv and, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, totally. Swiv. Um, and there's a number of them. And I think perhaps this is just, I'm not sure quite, I don't I think they know quite what they're looking for. And this one does get the blend better. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it gets it better. But it's certainly better than some of the others. But they seem yeah. to be, they were quite They were quite down on this game. And I, and I read, read, read the review and I was thinking, I can't sort of see the point. I think they'd maybe suffering from bad game fatigue, as I was. And I think they yes, just, I think at this possibly. particular, I think that's what it is. Because if this was in an episode, an episode, sorry, if this was in an issue, is that where they reviewed less games that were poor? I think it would have scored better. I, I mean, I'd be mm-hmm. interested to to get Julian Rignall's very thoughts on that because I'd like to I'd like to know what he actually thinks about it now. So if you're out there, Julian, feel free to Twitter us or send us a message to say, and you don't have to be much to say, you know, I thought it was shit or yes, it was good. Do me. <laughs> Yeah, fifty-six percent was right. Shut yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Quite down. We we stand chastened. <laughs> but yeah, you've always liked Terra Crest, though. In fact, it was. I think it was you that put me onto the music of this many moons ago, saying you should give this one a listen, and and it is very very good in terms of its its presentation. Yeah. You can't really argue with it. It's got some top notch coding going on. So good stuff. Yeah, it's it's smooth. All the aliens, the patterns are good. The bullets work well. The and and, and what it, you don't you know, like you said, it has that central mechanic of building your ship up into this big essential fiery phoenix isn't it it's yes, what you, be, you, yes. you become at the end yeah. and so there's that notion of building your ship up and the, the way you split and if you split in you know if you've got three parts you split a different way four parts mm. a different way even more mm. firing off bullets left right and center and then when you get to the fifth you know if you manage to get to the fifth one which is hard but doable with a bit of practice um you get that cool fiery phoenix effect which is better in the arcade but it's, it's okay yeah. here yeah. And it's got bosses. It's got everything we want at this point. Yeah, I just think this is a great, a great game, and, and mm-hmm. a really, really solid conversion. But yeah, that's just me. There you go. Anyway, yeah, that's Terra Cresta. Uh, I'm glad that was stood up because I uh, was looking forward to that one. But maybe not the next one. Maybe not the next one. <laughs> no, it's a crap vert come to life. Literally, next one. Literally. Because next up we have eleven pounds ninety five. Because it comes with a surfboard. Oh yeah, we have Surf Champ. He's finally arrived. The yeah. the, the 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 whatever this is. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what my first comment on this is? I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? My, funny enough, my first comment on this was, why? Why wouldn't you do a version of a Beach Boys song? Well, any kind of sound would be good. Well, Mike, this, this music, if you could call it that, there's there's a, there's a tune, and then in game there's. Very little. The quiet, soothing sounds of the noise filter. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we laughed at the crapverts way back with the Spectrum version of the crap idea of putting a surfboard on your computer. We laughed at them. We Which is still a crap idea, by the way. There were, t- there were two of them. Anyway, I couldn't get to the surfing part of this. I don't know why. So upon loading, you're asked to put in your name, whether you're male or female, height, weight, and so on. Then you pick an outfit, and then you pick a board to surf on. 
And once this is done, none of that makes any difference that I could determine because I changed, tried different things. I made myself into a proper, very heavy person. I made myself very thin, male, female, tall. It was, the sprite was always the same. The board was always, oh, nonsense. You get some weather information, which is, you know, I might as well be listening to the, um, what do they call it? The Isle of Dogs for seven. The oh, shipping, the, uh, the shipping sh- forecast. Now, see, I like the shipping forecast. <laughs> it's good to go to sleep to. North Utsira, South Utsira, <laughs> West Northerly ten. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, like I, I always want them to because it feels to me like they're just saying random things. It feels to me like it's part of a spy movie. Well, I just, I just want them to say random things. So, you know, North Utsira, pygmy, <laughs> Chinese, forty-seven. Oh no, the wind's like pygmy. The, <laughs> it's like the worst kind of bingo. Worst kind yeah, of it bingo. Is. It's like the worst bingo caller ever. It is. It is yeah, that's, that's this is where he ended up. He, he's never been able to get a job bingo calling because his bingo calls are just too out there. <laughs> All the Chihuahuas, 73. <laughs> All the Chihuahuas, <laughs> Dogger. There is one called Dogger, isn't there? Viking. Is there what, Bing? Yeah, there's an area, because I think there are, are areas about now? of the map. Bingo or, or the shipping forecast? No, no, not Bingo. There's no Dogger in Bingo, I don't think. And this, I don't know what kind of Bingo you've been doing, but uh, I, don't, I don't partake. Well, you, you don't know what kind of Bingo I've been doing. I, I think I can guess if one of the terms is Dogger. I don't ever want to be involved in dogging Bingo, uh, ever, for bit- the rest of time and space. I've been in Maggie's Den. Good Lord. Anyway, um, so Surf Champ. <laughs> surf Champ. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, what is this? Uh, you get a, you get some weather information and then you enter the game proper, which is a single side-on view of, the, of a bay, I think it is, where some... I, I, I hesitate to call them waves. <laughs> There's yeah. these white shapes that sort of come towards <laughs> the beach. Yes. Um, and you can go into the water... And you can paddle towards them. But I couldn't do anything more. And it said in the review, press space. So it wouldn't stand up for me. I couldn't do anything. Nope. I just used to get... I, all I did was just get uh, obliterated on the rocks. Um, every time, smashed up on the rocks, start again. What was I playing? What was this? This is like DEFCON. What was the, what's the notion here? Remember, this game was used in a competition but and was endorsed by a, a, a leading surfer as a, as a quality surf, uh, you know, simulator. What was he? What you know? Because there is supposedly there's a there's a screenshot of, of a different kind of thing where you're in the wave and, and it's like mm. I couldn't get him to stand up. So maybe if I could have got this surfer to stand up, maybe I would have got to the second part where you ride the wave. Maybe. But I couldn't, so I didn't. And then it's crap, and it was awful, <laughs> and there was nothing good about it. And I didn't get one crumb of entertainment from this. No, um, and I just thought this was wretched. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of other words for awful because we say awful a lot. So wretched is my word for this. Did you enjoy your time on the ocean waves on your board? No. No, I did not. (laughs) I I, always know your answer. I don't know why I ask. I was bemused at best by the weird, meaningless array of options. Um, So, you know, choose your board length. Choose your board selection from pop-out single fin, custom twin fin two and a half fin and three fin thruster now that one did make me laugh i thought if i'm having a surfboard i'm having a three fin thruster because it only sounds brilliant it sounds painful um then when you choose your gear you've got pod summer suit winter suit no suit and leash that worried me um a little bit as the things about surfers i i I mean i don't know anything about surfing at all other than water and surfboards and what i've seen in the movies and stuff Uh, and then i got my weather report wind direction the beaufort number was two i don't know if that's good or bad (laughs) could be anything somewhere on the beaufort scale i I don't even know what it means wasn't Um, he um the um other guy (laughs) captain on the question of sport yeah beaufort Beaufort. (laughs) so he just gives it a number he puts his finger and nicks his finger puts in the air the winds are three Or maybe you just fart and they go, oh, God, that's a Beaufort 4, that one. God. <laughs> that's a proper three-fin thruster. <laughs> Ew. 
So I did as you did. I did all that. And then I was on the beach and my little sprite was clutching his board. And I thought, all right, ran into the water-ish. And then <laughs> and then uh, the waves were rolling in, this kind of wave effect, which is, I thought, was, it, it looked like waves, I suppose, is the best you could say about it, I think. But I, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I was just in the water sort of spinning around, splashing about, just having a good old laugh, really, clutching <laughs> my surfboard. Not getting on the surfboard. My surfer was not doing surfing today. He wasn't having it. He wasn't doing it in any way. <laughs> so I just kind of flopped and fliddled around the water and kept getting pushed out to the back to the beach by the water. I'm like, I'm the worst surfer in the world. I just keep going out and it just keeps pushing me back to the beach. I think it's trying to tell me something. There were some sounds, I think. So I, my final thought on this, because it's obviously rubbish, is this is this is some kind of troubling simulation of something. I just don't know what that is. And it's certainly not surfing. <laughs> Um, I don't know. So it's a mysterious game. Yeah, well, it's it's also the fact that you can swim out all the way to the top of the sea and then get across to where the town is and you're still the same size. Yeah. So that town is really close. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not thoroughly thought through. And I don't believe there's real surfers out there who go, my God, have you played that Surf Champ game? Just, you may as well sell your surfboards because that's more like the real thing. It is. It even comes with a you know one you can put over your Spectrum keyboard. These are people that love being outside. They love the outdoors. They, they love it so much that they're willing to go and immerse themselves in the murky waters off the coast of Britain, which I can tell you is, in some areas, especially around here, is a dangerous thing to do because there'll be turds and condoms floating past your surfboard around here. Yes, there were. So you know, so you're dedicated. If you're going in the waters off the coast of Britain anyway, you're dedicated to being a surfer. Or hats off to you. Fair play. That's your thing. But don't, you know, don't expect this game to be anything other than what it is, which is just, it mentions the word surfer and there's a sprite holding a surfboard. Everything else is kind of some kind of afterthought. So it was rubbish. It was rubbish. Wretched. Wretched, wretched, wretched. Yeah, that was it. We didn't, we didn't really expect much more, did we, after those crap, bloody crap verts? No. We didn't. No. And we were, we were horribly right. proven right. I give this yeah. a Beaufort number of do one. It's so a number two. <laughs> yeah. It's a four fin plumper. <laughs> <laughs> it bloody is can take its three fins and thrust off <laughs> there we go surf champ uh yeah crap okay last game up coming up uh for this section before we move on uh to other stuff and that game is coming up right now graham how did your how did your time as a destroyer captain go Tell us all about Destroyer. Now, Destroyer is a really interesting game if you like controlling World War II ships and military ships, um, and in fact, a Fletcher-class Destroyer in this particular game. So it's now it's a simulation. This uh, really, and now it plays. It plays now. This plays in that. Is it a simulation? Is it arcade? It, you know, is it a good hybrid of the two? And then sadly, this is not a good hybrid of those two. It's an excellent naval ship simulation with missions and stuff like that. But to say that the arcade parts are a little bit a weaker compared to the rest of it is understatement. And there's some other things to come to. So in this game, and by the way, I had the original of this way, way, way back then. Did you? Yeah, it's a game that I'd bought. Yeah, because, you know, I've got a pedigree of, of, of Navy stuff in my family. My dad was in the Navy. Yeah, true. Brothers in the Navy. So you're in the control of the Fletcher class, Fletcher class destroyer, which you can name. I'll come to all that in a minute. But you can name in the, in the during World War Two, and you can undertake a series of uh, naval mission, war missions, um, which are uh, Sub Hunter, where you've got to seek and destroy enemy submarines; Screen, where you've got to protect a- an aircraft carrier from some enemy aircraft; Scout, um, where you've got to scout an area before a convoy crosses some treacherous waters. You've got a mission that you can attempt called Bombardment, where you can shell key parts of an island ahead of your marines landing on it; and um, Blockade Runner, where a small island outpost is surrounded, so you've got to break through the blockade with some supplies. 
convoy escort, where you lead a slow-moving merchant vessel in a convoy to an outpost, a tra- tra- a, a dangerous outpost, so you're getting attacked all the time, and rescue, where one of your pilots has been shot down and managed to make it to a nearby island, and you've got to then go and rescue him out of the, out of the island. So those are the missions you can partake in, and the idea really is complete the missions, don't get sunk. <laughs> it's kind of the, you know, don't sink yeah. your ship, but by either by enemies doing it or by you controlling it like a fool. Now, I'll come back to that as well later. Yeah, um, so will I. So you control, this is the simulation, so you control this through various different screens. Now, this reminded me a little bit of Ace of Aces in the way that you've got different screens that have different sections, sorry, that have different controls. So you access these various screens um, with two-letter commands. So you type in the two-letter commands and, and like, control parameters. Um, so you've got things like BR is bridge, NA is navigation, RA is radar, and you control those. And these will go from different screens. And in those, then you use up and down on the joystick and the fire button to control the various switches and the direction of the ship and, and all the rest of it. So at least four of those, I think it's bridge, um, navigation, I think radar maybe one of them. There's another one where you've actually got helm control. So you can control the direction and the speed of the ship and all of that. You can set it to autopilot as well. So you can set a direction and a, and a place that you want to be. Check on your radar where the enemies are going to be and set it all up to go for that. And then you can just sort of sail there and then engage with them in the various different ways. Um, to get press OB to go to the observation deck and you can actually see what's going on. So each one of these views exists in its own little mini micro world. Now it's a micro load as well. And on disc, you just about get away with it. I can't imagine this. I don't know if there was a tape version. I can only imagine it's like a living hell. Um, and it really only just gets away with it on disc. Now it's cited as a problem in the Zap review because of the... Now this did use the Vorpal loader, I think, um, which is a, a, still a fast loader of Epic's prescribed fast loader but even then it, it is a little bit of an interruption to the game flow when you press you know go back to the bridge and it's like and it loads up and then you go actually i need to go to navigation it's clever that it keeps all the main data in there but you've got to keep your eye on all of these various things so damage control it's again similar to ace of aces a couple of problems with that idea for me is one that a ship is not operated by a guy so, you know, you've got a crew there. And I think that this doesn't, this feels like you don't have a crew to command. And I think if they had have added that logic to it, so you could set Ensign Johnson on the this particular set of controls, you know, give them a series of controls to do. And then you just rely on those people to then report back to you as some kind of central captain. That would have made a bit more sense in terms of a simulation, but they allied that to make it feel a bit more panicky, arcadey. So you've got switches and things to click on and screens to dive in between. And I think that that does become a little bit of a problem because you can very quickly get engrossed in all the various different screens and not actually really realise that you're not really doing much other than that and not really playing the game. And when you get to the missions and you do some of the arcade bits, they actually they feel a bit perfunctory compared to the rest of the game. So those bits feel a little bit like a fourth. So when you're shooting at the planes and you're doing some of the arcade style bits, they're good, but they're not as good if you like. You'll have spent more time controlling and trying to get to the bottoms of the, you know, why am I navigating over there and what's over there and, and checking your bridge and checking your various radars and things and, and all of that. So there's a lot to manage, and I think perhaps too much. And in the way that Ace of Aces scaled it down a little bit so you weren't overwhelmed with control screens, I think this is probably slightly the opposite. So there's a little bit too many of the control stations to to sort of get between and to interoperate. So dancing between them becomes quite, you know, it takes some getting used to. Um, this is created by Epics, of course, and so it's actually coded by uh, Chuck Somerville. That's the guy that made Summer Games 2. So it's got a pedigree of code, and the graphics and the presentation are all there. It's nice. It looks good. It's tonally... And thematically, it looks like you're on a destroyer. All of that is great. The missions are challenging. I'm not going to say they're not because they are. But I actually found, as I did when I had it originally, the more I played this game, 
the more you get into it, you need the control, you need, sorry, you need the instructions for this. And once you read through the instructions and you sort of get to grips with what the screens do, it just takes time. It's a, ta- a game that you need to really work through and really get into. It's a simulation at the end of the day. And, and it, you, it behooves us to say that it's more, not more simulation in this arcade. And for that, it means those take time to get used to. So I thought this was actually, I really quite like Destroyer. I don't normally go for these kind of simulations, but this, I found this one quite engrossing. And the more I played it, the more I sort of got into it. I did have some fun, of course, because you can name me the ship and your captain. So um, somewhere out there in the in the annals of World War II history, the USS Cumstain was fought on an epic battle. The USS Underpants was um, very, very successful. The USS Banana did quite well with uh, various different captains, Captain Morgan, Captain uh, um, Staines, all sorts of um, Captain Pugwash, of course. And then the uh, USS Calibos was my most successful um, ship under the command of Captain Morgan. So I had some a good time with this. I can see it was a pretty decent game. I think it was nine ninety nine. I suspect it was probably more on disc. I don't know. Maybe that's the disc price. I don't know. It got eighty five percent in Zap. About right, I think, for this. I think if to get that extra fifteen percent, it needed a bit more thematic sound, a bit more you know ship related stuff, and perhaps a bit more to do once you got to the various mission points. Because sometimes it just felt like you got there and it was a bit like now what. Um, mm. But other than that, this is Epic's turning their hand to something else. Good on them because. Um, at least in this sea of crappy games in February, there are some sailing in, um, pardon the pun, and at least doing some things right. But what did you think? Uh, yeah, it's 15 quid on disc. Yeah, I, th- I thought it might so. be more. I, can't, I cannot imagine this on tape. That'd be a nightmare. No. Um, your ships were uh, will be joined by, um, uh, was it, Cap- what did I send you? Was it Cap- Captain Bum on the USS Cock? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> the USS Cock. <laughs> There you go. I am on the flip side of this year. I, I quickly came to the conclusion this this game was not for me, uh, and it's literally because I just found it a bit bewildering. I, it I, is. I entered two letter codes, and, and I wonder. I, and I could only picture myself wandering about the ship like a drunken buffoon, giving orders that made no sense, firing my guns at seagulls if there had been any. I plotted courses that were of no use and never seemed to have anything happened. No, I couldn't. I don't know what was going on. You were on like, a ship called the USS Cock. <laughs> well, you know, I was like, um, I was like in some just crappy eighties comedy, um, <laughs> and it was just ridiculous. I, I don't know. I, I tried. I you know. I tried to get my head around it, but I just, just couldn't see anything. There's just there's depth there, and I'm sure there's a really good game in. And obviously, you probably you enjoyed this a lot more than I did, mm. and, and that's that's cool. So, I'm for some there is that like this game is is there, but not. It just you know, it didn't flick my switches it, it, it left me half mass and all of the kind of puns i can come up with for, for <laughs> sea stuff yeah i was you know i was i was adrift um in a sea of <laughs> boredom um there was you know the excitement of a scrolling message telling me that i'd reached my destination which just seemed to be more than nothing and then the prospect of waiting for another screen to load i was like oh it just turned me off I thought, and like yourself, I, I put this, you know, is this trying to be the naval version of Ace of Aces and Desert Fox yeah. and those kind of things? Are they looking at And I, I thought, if, if it's not, one, well, maybe they could have, you know, it's stuck between two houses. It, it's, it, I don't know whether the strategy side of it, I don't know, it, but it just maybe it could have learned on how to make the, the game more interesting by looking at those two a bit. Because both of those two are, you know, are really enjoyable games. And I just found this, it was the two in and fro in and the loading just turned me off, like you said. I can't imagine what this would be like on cassette. It would have been an absolute bloody nightmare. I can't imagine it. But but even just going from our oh, navigation to bridge to there to there to that 
than firing my guns, which never seemed... I, don't, I couldn't... I just Nothing wasn't for me. And I accept the fact that not every game will be for me. I can appreciate that there's, qu- there's um, quality production values here. It looks very nice, mm. you know, and, and everything about it is there, but... I, I, it's not it's not my cup of tea, but I'm glad you you enjoyed it. Yeah, I think um, I would recommend it if you like if you like that kind of simula if you like these kind of simulations. I mean, I I quite like Titanic in a similar way. Um, maybe it's just these kind of because normally these 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 games kind of can become very boring very quickly if they don't have something to entice you in, and this does take a long time to get to those bits. I think whereas games like Desert Fox and stuff some of those get there a bit quicker and they're a bit more engaging yeah. and the battles are a bit more instant. And this just just doesn't quite have that, which is why I say it's it's more simulations, less. I think I think action. The, and I think that's the kind of the playoff. I think with you, it's the boats. Yeah, don't. Yeah, it's the, it's the, wrong, it's the yeah. naval thing. So I think if you th- if they, with this pace and not on boats, you'd have switched this off. Yeah, it was it was slow, but I think also I was just I was in I was ready to play something that wasn't a crap shoot 'em up. Yeah, I, I needed something. I mean, this and 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 there's another game we'll come to, which were just totally different. To everything else, we'd because we'd been battling some of these crappy. They're either crap or the shoot 'em ups and crap, or there's been just bad combos of things or bad licenses. These came along and they were just a ref- bit of a refreshing breeze. There's this one. There's a, there's a few others that will come to, but this one. Yeah. And I think I, so I, that, I gave yeah. it a bit more dues. I think just because I was ready to just not look at something that angered me or killed me yeah. within six seconds. So it well, was nice this this felt like it had thought and consideration behind it and was trying to yes. do something. And, yes, and, it and does. I think you can you can appreciate that. And that's what I mean. I can appreciate that even if I mm. can absolutely one hundred percent say this game is not for me. Absolutely. And I, but I, I get the fact that it is, you know, it is well made. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that. So there you go. Uh, yeah, that's that's Destroyer. Right. So that's us done for this section. Um, we've got a word from our sponsor coming up. And then we have a special snippet. I don't know how much put it in, but we've got a special snippet from our interview that we did uh, with Mr. John Hare. Um, and the full version of that can obviously be heard if you sign up on our Patreon which I haven't mentioned yet, so I'll just mention now. Our Patreon is over on patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past. Go over there, chuck us, uh, chuck us the price of a beer if you're not in London um, and get access to that, all the things um, and some uh, other bits and bobs and join our Discord and whatever, I don't know, go over and listen to it. But here's a snippet of that, so hope you enjoy this. We'll be back after the break, after our interview. Well, actually, we're in the interview, what are we on about? Uh, then we'll be on with more games, so we'll see you soon. <laughs> Let's feel some love for our sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you'll find bargain books, ebooks, and audiobooks. This feels like a good time to listen to a sample of his awesome audiobook, Back in Time for a Donut, narrated by the supremely talented Lucy Dwyer. She ported her phone to escape nonsensical reality for just a moment and played a role-playing game named Exiled Kingdoms, where she instructed a female character to run around and bash other characters. She smiled, mashed virtual buttons, then looked up. She weighed up one of her many virtual lives against her real one. Here, she was a much-respected cleric. Many of the non-player characters depended on her to complete various missions. The bad guys were easy to manage, too. If a threat didn't do the trick, then a sword probably would. Real life, of course, wasn't so easy. Her humdrum insurance job paid the bills, sure, but she had to put up with people she didn't like while doing work she didn't want to do. She even had to listen to the boss when she sprouted her corporate nonsense. Worse, she was expected to feign interest. Now that is what I like to call brilliant. So visit davidhernwriter.com to find out more. Are you keeping up with the corporate nonsense? The corporate nonsense? 
All right, so let's go. Let's go into some of these questions. Some of these are more for those who you listen to us. Sort of thing, you know, we're not always that serious, but hey ho, whatever it is. So we'll go with a serious one. Let's start off with. So you made lots of games for C sixty four. When was the last time you played some? When was the last time you played on a Commodore sixty four? On a Commodore sixty four, actually, probably not that long ago. In a probably in a game show, like somewhere, like um, right, Pixel Heaven. I go to every year in Poland because I heard you guys discussing music when i walked back in the room but you know i play in a band called uh, uh the sensible band now we used to be with um sid 80s obviously but we play a bunch of old sensible software music and some other stuff that i write music and um that's a big retro crowd in poland which is great fun so we get to do a gig once a year in poland the best music fans in the world by the way in my experience in poland if anyone polish is listening but they've got a bunch of games there so i normally will play a couple of old games whilst i was there do you yeah. have any particular favourites? Any go-to games? On the Commodore 64? Not, yeah. not, not really. I used to have. I mean, I'll tell you what I did really like was Leaderboard on the Commodore yeah. 64 yes. in the old days. Mm-hmm. I, I Obviously, Monkey Island was splendiferous. Was Monkey Island on the Commodore 64? Did it come out? I think it is. I mean, I know it was a media. Leisure Suit Larry. Leisure Suit Larry was the Commodore 64 version of, for me anyway, of what Monkey Island became. Like, a, do you remember Leisure Suit Larry? I've I've no Leisure Suit Larry. Yes, it's uh, it's uh, it's got a reputation, hasn't it? Leisure Suit Larry. Two click adventure. Yeah. <laughs> Leisure yeah. Suit Larry and um, California games. I played on it and um, uh, what else? Uh, what was the Defender thing that Archer did? Drop Zone. Drop yeah. Zone, yeah. 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 And it's funny because I was reading I was reading your book mm-hmm. and you mentioned that you were playing very heavily into two player drop zone. We have a, we we did a, a not an episode on it, but we we covered it some time ago. Yeah. And and it, the response we had online to the when because obviously on the social media when we put about it was pretty extreme. When it's one of the first times we had a mass, you know, sort of a mass sort of uh because yeah. we yeah. luckily we said we liked it because there's been times, John, when we've we've been controversial in our podcast. Uh-huh. For example, <laughs> the very first podcast we decried that Elite was the most boring game known to man. It's in little, our opinion, it's a little slow. It's a little. Slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the first pod, first podcast and first game. Yeah, it was a uh, some some sort. Of, it was a bit of a statement of intent, but it was just the way it <laughs> fell. You know, just what it was. Um, so obviously, we've just reached a couple of your games. Uh-huh. Um, so, but we understand these. According to the the, the book, um, these came out the wrong way round. You wrote Parallax first. Is this correct? I don't know. You were saying this earlier on. Did Graham. Parallax come yeah. out? Did Galaxy Birds come out before Parallax? Well, it's reviewed. Be- it's, it's reviewed before it. So we're going on the review date. So Galaxy that Birds was cold. in. It's in the. I think it's in the. Epi- uh, the it's in. Is it in the magazine before? It's definitely in the magazine before it. Yeah. So yeah, we looked at Galaxy Birds first, and then Parallax. So was Parallax, was it just a release date from Ocean or something? That's really or odd it- because we, we finished Parallax completely and then did Galaxy Birds. Oh, a bit, albeit it was very short. We did it in one or two weeks. It was like a, Galaxy Birds was a joke game for us. It was like a, like, I don't know, just having a bit of fun before you got with the next serious game, which in our case was Whizball. So, um, but yeah, it was definitely completed after Parallax. But Parallax was released by Ocean and, and Galaxy Birds was with BT. So whether BT just st- stuck it in a box as fast as they could or, or Ocean dragged their heels, or a bit of both. I wasn't. Right, aware right. That, I wasn't actually aware that Galaxy Birds came out before Parallax. And I'm. I'm not sure it did. 
even if it got reviewed beforehand. Because right. we're, we're basing all our stuff on what's in each month of Zap. So yeah, because, it, it, because it's so hard to go back and find actual release dates for anything um, with any kind of authority or any kind of accuracy, we just went, you know what? We're just going to look at what was reviewed that month. Doesn't our so, book, have you got the Sensible Software book there, did you say? Graham has, yes. Graham, does the book say when the games were released? I think there's a... Yeah, it's November for Parallax, but the, the review is in October in Zap, which I suppose they would yeah. have a preview copy. But Galaxy Birds is actually reviewed before all of that. But in the book, Galaxy Birds comes out after. It doesn't say when it comes out, but it's, but it's developed after Parallax. But it's yeah, I'm, it was definitely developed after, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was probably released just after. But who knows? We put it down to the the Firebird anomaly because we've come to know them as Fire Turd because pretty much every <laughs> game they brought out between 1984 and 1986 up till now, with, with the couple of exceptions, mm-hmm. very few. Yeah, um, they just seem to publish anything. <laughs> literally well, anything basically what, what maybe it's hard to pick up is at firebird by the way my wife was working at firebird so she's sitting upstairs so don't talk too loud about been in the oh, games uh... industry for many years but she was then and <laughs> now that was her experience uh, anyway. but, uh, um the firebird was it was budget games like there was games yeah. you buy for one or two pounds you like Galactic mm, yeah, yeah. But it was a budget game that's why it's this is throwaway kind of experience it's a it was it was made as a joke. So, <laughs> so is it kind of like a, a just a game jam game? That's what it sort of feels like as well, a little bit. Is it kind of that yeah, kind of ethos? I mean, uh, if you, if you think forward, I mean, if you if you look at our Amiga stuff and you've got Sensible Soccer and you've got like these cover discs when you had apples versus oranges or Sensible Soccer on the Moon or whatever we were doing then, um, or Canon Soccer. So um, in in the what we tended to do at Sensible was filling the time with the between the main games with these just kind of light relief things. On the Amiga time, by the time we got the Amiga, they had converted into doing cover discs because they then went on front of the magazines, which gave you more promotion and it was a bit of fun for us as well. But in the in the Commodore 64 era, what we did with those fun games was they turned into budget games. So we did actually we did three budget games. We did Galaxy Birds and we did a game called Oh No, which was a, a rip off of a I think it was a coin up called Rustler. I think it was called right. Rustler. Uh, and then um, we did Insects in Space, which was a very Drop Zone-esque game, actually, which came out a bit later. And they were our three budget games. They were all just basically coin-op things, like Galaxy Birds, obviously Galaxians with birds. Mm-hmm. Of yeah. Spaceships, and that was about it. It was like a, it was like a joke with just like one lame little string on it, and that was it. <laughs> uh, but it was quite fun for us to do that, you know. I could draw quite some relief. swans and robins and all sorts of fancy... <laughs> Uh, yeah, because I mean, you, you did you did all the graphics for those games, right? So you're the, just the graphics guy. I did all the graphics for the first seven years of the company, so probably about eight, nine, ten games. Yeah, right the way up to Sensible Soccer was the last game I did the art on. Cannon fodder, I didn't do the art on. That was the first one I didn't do it. So that's kind of like your line. But like, right. um, Soccer was, so what did, what did you use to draw it? What did tool did you use to even do that with? Well, it, I don't it even remember. On or? It's a good question. So like, I, I used D Paint for the Amiga stuff. When you go to the Commodore sixty four. I remember I had a koala pad, but the only thing I remember drawing in it, me and Chris, first, before we set Sensible Software up, we worked with a company called LT Software, which was a, like a local company in Basildon, and we were just like young. We were 19 at the time, just doing sort of jobs for them. And um, and I, I worked on this early version of International Karate, and I was given a koala pad to draw like mountains and things. 
Um, yeah, but I can't remember the name of the tool that I used for my regular Commodore 64 graphics. I don't, I've never rem- been able to remember the name. Was that, was the, so could you just do that stuff? Could you just draw pixel art quite well? Or was you, are you a, a good artist anyway? Oh, I, I am still, old. I'm still a good pixel artist. In fact, I look at, um, I don't use it very much. I use it only when, uh, well, when I'm doing designs, I tend to, I tend to use pictures a lot to describe what we're going to do. But mostly that's taking a screenshot that exists in the game, cut and pasting stuff and stretching it around. And I still use paint, believe it or not, as my main tool of doing this. Um, and uh, I can, if I want, do pretty reasonable pixel art still, but there's just not much demand for it. And frankly, I haven't got the time because of the other stuff that I do. But I, I do think that there's a lack of pixel art skills in modern games artists, actually, for, to be critical. You know, it's too pedantic and fiddly. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a lost days. art, isn't it? It's a bit of a lost art, but then I guess um, I'm trying to think of examples of things we don't do anymore. Uh, portrait painting to the quality of Rembrandt's pretty much a lost art as well, you know? So... Some things get superseded. <laughs> some, some skills that we lose, we're just never going to get. I never had those skills to begin with. I can't even draw a decent stick, man. So, and, and I really mean yeah. that I can. It's awful. Uh, for some reason, I went through years of drawing them, and then someone said, "You do realise humans have necks?" Like, ah, <laughs> yeah. so, you, so your arms don't just stick out from your neck, right? That's why they're bad stickmen. And people have elbows and knees. I'm like, oh, just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear uh yeah i'm not much better i'm a coder so i, I can't draw art that's the coder cop out i'm a coder. It it's, the, it's the star trek i'm a goddammit jim i'm a coder not a bricklayer <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, I, better. I can't write a line of code and never have done i've always worked with guys like you so it's made my uh, life easier to not code i think I'm, I'm i'm happily blind to it i just i just pay my hair out when it goes wrong that's about it <laughs> Yeah, and it often does. That's the problem. So, yeah. can I? All right. So, what? So, we talked about. So, Galaxy Birds was this sort of palette cleanse thing after Parallax. So, Parallax yeah. was your first game for the Commodore because you did Twister, first, didn't you? Uh, well, actually, technically, it, no. Oh no. Okay, go on. No. So, so, so we 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 took on after we did Twister on the Spectrum, which which some people know of. Then we yeah, did. It's a strange old game, that. It's a strange game, yeah, yeah. It was a first original game, me and Chris working together. We'd been writing music for years beforehand, but um, it was the first game we'd done. But that was on the Spectrum. But then we got commissioned by LT Software to do another game, which was called Runestone. Was it called Runestone? Yeah, it's called Runestone. And and it was a it was a it was a conversion of a text adventure basically on the Commodore 64 and actually we made that game to get the two grand we needed to, to go on the government enterprise scheme to set up sensible software interestingly because <laughs> we, we actually worked whilst we were unemployed because we needed to be unemployed and there was weird qualification rules anyway so that was our first C64 game which was really good for Chris to learn the technical ropes of how to use the machine but mm-hmm. Parallax was our first original like proper game on, on that machine yep it was so was Runestone released or was it, it out? wasn't released no it, it wasn't actually released on the commodore 64 someone actually sent me an emulator with it running about a year ago which was amazing so wow. it was like a you're in the forest go north you're in the forest go north come across <laughs> the castle. it was one of those games so um yeah and uh, but uh, th- then i did the graphics to support it so you could see you getting closer and closer to the castle and you know you know what i mean I know what you mean. Yeah, well, I know yeah. what you mean. Okay. So yeah. that was your intro to the C64. Then you come to do Parallax. Yeah. And Parallax seems like, because I, mean, I was reading the interview that you did with Zap um, mm-hmm. earlier today, you did that, you know, in uh, March 87 or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, interesting you hear and you talk about Parallax back then because 
A, there's, there's a couple of questions here, which is what happened to Parallax 2, which was mentioned quite quite extensively in the beginning to that interview. So there's nothing like, nothing like, yeah, where is it, John? Come on. Yeah, where is it? Come on. I've been waiting 33 years from this interview. He's never going to let that go. Also, the other thing that I'm just interested in, before we get to that, the other thing that I just like is uh, you say that everyone wanted the technical aspects of it, but you had to cut a lot of stuff. I don't know if you can remember. Yeah. Um, but what? What kind of things did you have to cut from Parallax that, that didn't make that cutting room, you know, didn't make that final production? Well, f- first I'll answer the Parallax 2 question. So Parallax 2 was launched into the universe and will land on the Earth in approximately 87 years. But actually, in all seriousness, I forgot about Parallax 2 ever existing. So that's when Parallax 2 when it's actually died. Uh, in terms okay. of the, the, the extra content, that probably relates to Parallax too. So the Commodore 64, as you know, had limited memory to the extent that my favourite little bit of Parallax is we. you get to the, the point where you get to the end of the whole game and you've got these computers and then you resolve all the stuff and everything good. And then when you've f- finished it, the computer message is um, we wanted to write a message saying, well done, you've conquered the Parallax world and everyone's safe and happy. But we didn't have enough memory to write a long message. <laughs> so the message is system off because they were all the characters we could use and then the memory went out. Ten characters. Exactly. <laughs> wow. That's how many levels are in Parallax? Is it eight? Uh, I think it's five. It's five worlds. Five worlds. That's a lot to go through and all that searching and robot shooting and convincing of the scientists. A system off. So, and then you asked me about the, um, the pieces that were missing from Parallax. Yeah, yeah. So what was missing was really, obviously we had no memory. We only had this memory to write system off. So some of my suggestions I was chucking at Chris were like, no way, we haven't got enough memory. And there were things like um, when the guy comes, when the spaceship lands and the guy gets out, just being being able to do a lot more really with exploring the parallax world. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, he gets these scientists and he drugs them and he goes to computers, but there was much more we could have done in terms of what you could buy from the machines and the computers and where he could have explored and maybe going underground inside the base a little bit more rather than just a little room. So just wanting to do more with embellishing a whole big story around it, but there wasn't a chance. And that, that was probably why I was requesting Parallax 2 as an opportunity to express that stuff. Um, right. But, you know, okay. we ended up doing Whizball instead, and that's history. Loving spoonfuls to our show sponsor, DavidHernWriter.com. I reckon we should have another listen to a sample from Back in Time for a Donut, narrated by the always lovely Lucy Dwyer. Tara trembled as she came back into the pub and found Samira, who was now playing Pac-Man. The Pac-Man sat in a stationary position. The ghosts passed by her, but didn't get her. Tara watched over her shoulder. Where did you go? Samira asked. Just needed some air. Oh, and I love, love, love Pac-Man. Wow. It's as though they can't see you. Samira grunted. For years, I had to learn to be unseen. I barely existed. Looks like you've taught Pac-Man the same skill. Tara returned to their table and sat. Samira followed, leaving Pac-Man perfectly safe as the ghosts still searched in vain, the bug in their search pattern programming now being a source of amusement for those who knew the trick. Tara sipped from her beer glass with verve. Definitely something special. Visit davidhernwriter.com to find out more.
Okay, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that little snippet there of our chat with uh, John here. Like I said, go to the Patreon and you can put down your cross. <laughs> <laughs> go to the Patreon, put down your cross. <laughs> is, is your fiver enough? It is. <laughs> it is. It will be enough, yes. We can keep the place for you till Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Can a Patreon be evil, Father? <laughs> Run. Right, anyway. <laughs> uh, yes, we've got more games. We've got another seven games, and this is the last set of games from the Mammoth the epic. Triplica episode that's uh, covered issue 22 with all those games. The Whopper. So let's, let's, let's get into it. What's up first? Well, we are, our first one is uh, 995. This is a Sizzler, one of the few Sizzlers in amongst all these games. This is They Stole a Million. And so what is They Stole a Million? All right. So you play the boss, uh, a crime genius on the make. And after reading the magazine The Underworld and finding out that a computerized database containing all kinds of nefarious data has been created, which is called SWAG, which is uh, software for ambiguous gangsters. <laughs> reminds me of no disc. Like it. Um, you, die, you decide it's time to get a crew together and take down some scores. So that's what this is. This is a, uh, it's a gangster. Well, not a gangster. It's, it's a robbery simulator, I suppose, is the word for this. 8-bit so heat. The whole point, that sounds like a really, really bad porn film. <laughs> or a really good one. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. I got an 8-bit worth of heat for you. <laughs> you want to you hear my Sid Chip sing? Um, <laughs> he's never going to stop pumping the pixels now <laughs> absolutely not oh <laughs> uh, yeah I'm going to let the Vic all over you <laughs> <laughs> only if you so got a cold dark. though and I'll just rub it in so dark <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's going to be don't get it in your eyes on all counts <laughs> no it really hurts um, <laughs> anyway <laughs> where was I they stole a million okay so yeah, so this is a, a crime simulator, but you, you are a crime boss and you've got to do robberies, which is kind of interesting because the way that this game approaches them is not arcade in and of itself. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an, essentially it's a puzzle game. So how does this all work? So you've got, you've got some, you have multiple stages to go through before you could even get to doing the robbery. You have to plan, plan this all out. So first of all, you've got to pick where you're going to rob. Um, and there are five places to rob. Uh, and I should have noted them down, but I didn't. But um, there's a jewellers, there's an arts, there's an, you know, an art gallery, there's gold bullion, there's loads of things. So there's different kinds of things to go rob. And they, they scale up in difficulty and in what you've got to do. Um, and so that, that this is this nice scale of, of targets to go through. You have a starting budget of £50,000. And from that, you can buy the blueprints for any one of those five like locations. And from then, you get you get info about that place. It tells you what it is. It tells you the background about it. So it's a it's a, you know, it's a it's a jewelers run by a couple of guys and they don't really do much. You know, they've been running this place for ages. So you get this uh, information about that. From that point, you can buy the blueprints. And then from there, you can spend more money. The blueprints cost you some money and you can buy info on the uh, the location's security, on its alarms or or what, you know, what loot there is to be to be robbed. Um, this will cost more money. There's more info on them. So you have to decide how much money you're going to spend on getting the information out to enable you to sort of know where to go. So it might be information on oh, the alarms around here. They're hidden behind a painting in the in the cafe or, or something like that. So it gives you information to let you know where these things are. Um, obviously, spending more money means you've got less cash because what the next st stage is you've got to then hire your team and you can hire as many as you want. One thing you do need, though, is a driver. 
So sometimes you can get by, if you're really good, you can just get by with a driver who's got a secondary skill because the, there's 18 people to choose from and they have two skills and that can be, it can be a thug and a safe cracker. It could be an alarm specialist and a driver. There's loads of different things. So all these characters have different things and they all charge different amounts of money to hire them. Some are better than others. And and they all want a, a percentage of any, you know, anything that you manage to make off with. Once you've chosen your team, uh, which can be up to, you can have up to, have up to four people in your team um, and with yourself. So there's a team of five. You then have to pick your fence. So not like the electrified fences of Red Max. This is a fence where um, who is basically you take all the stolen goods to them and they transform it through their nefarious means into, you know, your ill-gotten loot. They turn it into money. And that's how you do. But obviously they take a cut. So what you've got to factor into this is how much money you can get out of the place itself that you're robbing. And you have to stack that up against how much do I want to spend on the team, the fence, the information, because it's no good spending more money than you're going to get out of the place. Because you have to get the money back because you're going to need more money for the next heist, the next one along. So you need to you need to be, you know, uh, frugal. Uh, and and so you, you can't go spend through happy and just buy, hire all the best people because they're all going to take the money and you'll end up with nothing at the end of it and then you won't be able to afford the next one or you'll only be able to afford one bloke and you won't be able to do it so once you've done all that you move to the planning stage of this uh, of this game and so the planning stage is this, it's a top-down view flick screen top-down view you start outside the building with, with the door in front of you and what you've got to do is for every member of your team you meticulously plan every step that they take through the robbery so every it's kind of on a grid based system so every every grid step takes one second so you move and it's one second so the first thing you've got to do is get the front door open generally so as i did on my first few goes when i kicked it off i forgot to open the front door and all my all my robbers just stood there going i'm all blocked ah i didn't think of unlocking the front door Damn it. Rewind back. I've anyway, actually been in, so, in that bank when that when that happened there, watching all these bank robbers just run up the door and just stand there. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy, isn't it? It's the worst film ever. So every move takes a second, but that's just every step. As you move through uh, the building, you plot them, you plot their course and you wander them through rooms. You know, if you come up to a closed door, you have to open it. You have to take all these things into consideration because if you don't tell them to open it, they'll just stop. So you kind of have to, they're kind of like robots almost. They have to, you have to program them to do exactly what you want them to do. When you get to a safe or the alarm system or something that takes time, that takes more time. Depending on what their skill is, is how much time that takes. So you have a little clock that kind of counts up. So every take goes up a second. So if you get to the alarms and you're on like a minute 10 and it takes them 20 seconds, it'll just cut to minute 30. So what that means is that that alarm will not be switched off until one minute 30. You've got to plan their route. So once that one goes past, you can then, once the alarm's off, you can move them around and, you know, try and crack into cases and things like that and try and break stuff open. There is security that wanders around, sometimes on a schedule. So you've got to take into consideration of that, hiding and making sure that if they're walking through somewhere, they, they don't see you. The more members of the team you have, the more you have to plan. Because every member of the team, it's this all happens simultaneously. So once the first one goes in, they open the door and they go in, your next one comes out the car, the next one comes out the car, the next, it's like a, it's like a cl clown car. Um, they all come piling out and they all go plan in. And then you've got to sp spread them out through the establishment. Some establishments are much bigger than others. They, they scale up as you go along. And you've got to kind of plan it. So if you get somebody to a place 
before that one minute 30 where the alarm's going to go off, you know, the alarm's going to be disabled, you've got to get them just, you've got to tell them to wait. So they're waiting until one minute 31, which then they'll start to hack into stuff. But oh, during that time where they're waiting, security may be coming wandering past. You've got to get them out of there and planning that to get them somewhere where security's not going to see them and get them back so that you're not losing time because you only have a certain amount of time before the police turn up. All this has to be planned meticulously to get your robbery going. Now, once all that's planned and you think you've got it down, as I did, but I forgot to open the front door, you can then just basically say play. And what you then watch is you watch all your or your henchmen or your hired they just go off and you see them walk, walk through you can follow them and they'll walk through the building on the on the route you've given them all doing their own stuff at the right time and if everything goes to plan you know you'll do this amazing robbery which is like clockwork and everything will just go off like you just see all these bits happen more often than not it's a broken clock um, and your bits just your men just wander around, get hung up on doors, seen by guards. The alarms don't go off in time. You misplan something. What you can do though is that you can actually midway through the action phase, so this phase where it's all kicking off, is actually say, right, I'll join in. And so you can then control yourself you're, you're, and run in after them. And so if somebody's bodged something up, you can you can try and fix things and get it back on track. Use this is because it's all gone badly wrong. And, and that's what you've got to do. So the whole point is to try and rob as much as you can out of these places by using as least men as possible and then and get out and then progress to the next one. This is a brilliant, brilliant game. Uh, 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 no, no two words around it. This is a brilliant puzzle game. And I, I, this, I've not really played many games of this sort. It's it's unusual. It is really, really clever. It's really rewarding. You know, it's it's a game that rewards your planning, your patience, your cleverness, your working stuff out. How do I get this? Yeah, it's a it's a game you can learn. And there are you know, I found a guide online that'll talk you through it, how to do the best walkthrough and get the most money. Of course, it is. It's a puzzle game. So there's always a way to solve the puzzle, like a Rubik's cube. There's always a way to solve it. But the satisfaction you get from watching a a, a piece of well planned execution of a robbery play out in front of you in real time when it kicks off there's very there's very little on the c64 or any other machine i've experienced like it it's a real proper testament to this to it, it uses you know it's an 8-bit game but it doesn't feel like one it feels like a modern contemporary you could see this working in modern modern on a modern on a mobile this would work perfectly on a mobile something like that, just dragging your player through and, and planning it all you could just see it working very well um mm. th- with some nicer visuals the visuals and, gra- and and sounds are perfunctory but they do their job this is just a brilliant game it's a, a quality entertainment i would have said for me this is the gold medal of this issue this should have been a gold medal because there's nothing like it and there's the, and it works perfectly it is so you know the, the the presentation of the windows that all pop up as you're going through the different things it's all really smooth it's nicely presented uh, it's it's just, it's just, it's a really 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 good game and i wasn't sure because i've played it before me and my friend used to play it a lot on the amstrad version and, and back in the day because i didn't have this on the c64 and so i wasn't sure if it was going to stand up or whether i'd like it but i found myself playing this quite a lot and, and i know i'm going back to this because i found oh god yeah i remember how good this was and that notion of i'm just going to get a notebook and i'm planning the times and i'm doing it i'm going in i'm going to rob these people blind i love this this is ace how about you yeah no same i thought this was an incredibly clever game um now this wasn't one that I'd. It was one that I'd seen the adverts for, and I'd heard the music classic really, because I think at this point some of these games like this are just skipping me back in the day. So mm. for, for whatever reason, I, I just didn't. This never came across my radar at all. So I came at this with nice fresh eyes um, on the back of playing uh, the Sailing the Seven Seas in Destroyer. And what you're presented with is a very clever game. Really nice use of icons and interface. Totally different to what you'd expect, but intuitive, fast, and you're able to just do quickly what you need to do. The whole planning process, compared to 
for example, going into, I know it's a, a stupid comparison, but comparing this to sort of the beginning of the surf game where it presented you with all those options, all of these, is this no different in the sense that you presented with options for your for your robbery and you go picking your target and your team and your fence and all the rest of it. But it all makes contextual sense. It helped. I've downloaded the manual, so I was able to sort of you know to know what was what and everything else. And the manual is really good for this because it gives you a nice breakdown of loads of stuff. Mm. So you know that gave that set the benchmark. What a great idea for a game for start off. Mm. And you know to think actually because they could have just taken this in a stupid direction. So some crappy running about platformer or some going left and right arcade adventure. No, this is a really unique strategy based approach to something that really is clever. When you're planning your, or, you know, meticulously planning your robbery, it's a really good vibe to when you actually click the sort of start button and things start to happen and everything else. I never managed to successfully commit to any robbery, but I'm the worst team of robbers <laughs> in the world. But that said, you know what? Um, you've got all those different people and skills to choose from. You could, you know, really mix this up and try different approaches. You could play, you could play an entire route through this. You can also load and save your teams as well. So when, if you've got a successful team, Obviously, you can save that and then you can, you know, load that back in. There's a lot to like here. A very clever, clever game that it might lack the direct attack of other games. And by that, I mean that, you know, it doesn't hit you in the face with the loads of, you know, razzmatazz and powwow. It, it's not doing it that way. This is mm. one of those games where it, it invites you in, you select your parameters, and it takes you on a really nice journey that you can start to get better at and start to think. And there's genuine panic when you're watching that go off and things start to go wrong. It's a mm. really, really clever game. In a sea of such nonsense and bad licenses and all the other stuff, as with Destroyer, this was such a nice breath of fresh air. A really clever, interesting game. Good music as well. Everything about it, really good. I think it deserved gold medal, I have to say. I think it was tragic that this got 90% because it deserves a lot higher than that. 95 or something like that. This is great. This is mm. really great. There's nothing else like it. And they seem to, you know, like the like we looked at the Sentinel and Alter yeah. Ego, this is doing something completely different. I don't, I've not played anything that does this no. kind of... And the way that it sort of tracks your... You know, because you can do a massive series of events and then it's like, it's all gone wrong. I need to go back. And it, it's all recorded. I don't yes. know how they're doing this. It's very clever. It's very... just It's, it's just someone... Like you've said... Um, you said about Druid, actually. You know what? A game designer got involved, a really good game designer who sat down and said, you know what? And they just planned this game. And they and then yeah. when they planned it well, they made it well and they stuck to their plan. They didn't try and throw in loads of stupid nonsense or, you know, hierarchical stuff that made no sense. Everything in this game makes sense to be in this game in the way it is. And it works because of that. And they stuck to those core principles. And when you do that, you end up with They Stole the Million, a really great little strategy. I, and to, for it to be driven by windows and icons in, the, in that kind of way, up, up until when you start planning stuff, I know. But just to have the commitment to your game design to just say, actually, I'm going to make it so you plan it this way, and this is how it's going to work. Fair play to mm. them. Great little game, that. Really, really enjoyable. Well worth yeah. 10 quid, that, of anyone's money at the time. Now, definitely, if you got the opportunity, go and play that. And as you rightly point out, that is surely waiting for a... A mobile or a, a modern version yeah. goodness me is it goodness it probably it's is like, one um, that we're not aware of probably it's like italian job the movie isn't it it is it, it is like that i mean i i i likened it a little bit um joking all joking aside it felt a little bit like heat the film heat where you've got a team yeah. that's put together and you know they plan in that robbery and they buy the blueprints and they've got you know, they've got an out and, and all of that stuff and it felt a little bit like that and i you know I, I liked i liked it for that it was genuinely good so no i thought it was a really I think easily the best game of uh, of this issue of Zap by by a mile. One of certainly one of them, but if not the best, really good fun, really good, enjoyable. Yeah, good. There we go. It's a good one to start on. 
let's see if things keep to a similar high level. I'm sure they will with our next game. Oh, will they? Um, <laughs> um, no. <laughs> okay. Are, are you? Uh, Anthrax sung about this guy. Um, <laughs> they did uh, 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 recently, and so Graham, tell us what it's like being. We've had uh, we've had the cure. Now let's have the law, <laughs> um, and tell us all about Judge Dread. So, Melbourne House, Melbourne House. <laughs> oh Mel, oh Melbourne House, Melbourne House. Why have you done this shit in a frying pan of a game? <laughs> So, <laughs> and, and cooked it and tried to serve me it. It is. This is a shitty pancake of a game. It is. <laughs> you flip this and it's going to stick to the ceiling. <laughs> it's going to stick to something. It's uh, based upon the credible 2000 AD Judge Dread characters. Now, I'm saying it's based upon because if you didn't know that, if that wasn't made obvious to you straight away, you wouldn't necessarily know by looking at it other than it's got mm-hmm. a, a half-assed picture of Judge Dread. Judge Dredd, and I'm not going to go into the whole what is Judge Dredd about. At the end of the day, the world has become, lives in these giant mega cities of various different numerical designations, Mega City One. Um, you know, that law has gone mad and everyone's very it's anarchic world that they live in, and it's controlled by the various judges. The judges are walking policemen slash judges slash judge jury executioner type mentality, who essentially are a police force of a type, but they go in and they make the decisions about whether the, the criminal is going to be judged there and then if they are judged and they decide what outcome it's going to be. And that can be anything between punched in the face or shot dead. And they have the right to do that because they're the judges. And there's a lot, probably, I mean, there's a whole load more to that world. I mean, I'm very much, that's less than surface level, but because this game deserves no more time spent to me discussing the great merits of 2008, I'm not going to go into that. So this game presents you with a bit of that logic. So the idea of this game is that you've got to apprehend criminals in the 2000 AD world. They're known as perps, perpetrators, I'm guessing. Um, Mm -hmm. And you basically have to go around and stop them. So you've got three options to deal with them. As you come across, you can halt them by shouting halt. You can fire warning shots and you can fire and shoot them. If you decide to shout halt, it actually does like a speech bubble up. It's... I don't even know why I'm explaining the stupidity of the game. The game is played out over... You start off as a um, with a map. And I, and I thought, when it first appeared, that uh, you were choosing the sort of where you were going to go, which area of the city you were going to go, with what looked like a giant hairdryer. But it's <laughs> it's actually his motorbike. It's Judge Dredd and his motorbike. Because um, he actually has a... I forget the name of his motorbike. Lawmaster, I think, is his motorbike, isn't it? Uh, so, is that, is that, no, yeah, Lawgiver is the gun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he's got a Lawmaster, his motorbike, Lawgiver is a gun. So in this game, when you get there, so you choose your level, and then after that, it's just kind of a running around platforms, blocky, horribly coloured platforms in some kind of blocky rendition of Judge Dreddish colours, and I'm not even sure. Very blue and yellow, which I think, and I think pretty sure it's actually dark blue and gold, I think, and perhaps more dark colours of those type for the real Judge Dredd. But this version is just some, some sort of garish nightmare with really crappily drawn graphics. Then you can run around and you can actually choose. You've got different bullets that you can fire from your gun. Famously, the lawgiver, the gun, can shoot normal bullets, armor-piercing bullets, incendiary bullets, ricochet bullets, high-explosive bullets, and heat-seeking bullets, of which you can choose those in this game by selecting keys one to six. So you can actually choose which kind of bullet. It doesn't really matter, because out of the three options, by the, by the way, to control the halt, warn, and kill level, you actually use left shift, right shift, and space. So there's an array of keyboard commands that you've got to use, as well as frantically running left and right, voiding enemies and shooting at stuff and running about. And it just, the game's just 
doesn't make much sense because it's just sort of a clutter of stuff flying about that really is badly rendered into view. At the bottom of the screen, you get like a panel, which indicates the type of crime and it gives you an idea of the whereabouts and the kind of weapon information, such as this, which is little icons at the bottom left. And if there's more, because you've got to run around and solve these crimes by basically killing the person doing them. If you if there are more than eight crimes occurring at any point throughout the city, then that's the game over and you lose. Um, so you've sort of got to run around doing that. There's also robot dogs. I'm not sure what purpose they serve. And I'm not sure if they kill you. But I just need to run past me and I run past them a lot. So I wouldn't profess to be the greatest Judge Dredd fan in the world, although I did have a 2008 annual back in 1981, because I remember it said on it, Splundig Verthrick Squax Des Thargo. I don't know what it means, but that's what it said on it. So for some reason, I remember it this day. You wash your mouth out. <laughs> splundig you. I'll splundig you. So I've put from the discordant screeching audio that claws at your ears to the oh. badly, badly um, blocky, badly drawn Judge Dread image. My first impressions weren't very good. You then find yourself over a yellow blocky map with a hammer drill um, trying to choose your destination. You're then thrust into a brown world of brown with horrible blocky platforms where you just run around seemingly, seemingly aimlessly and shout halt at things periodically. This is just horrible. It's a horrible, horrible game. It's truly awful. Um, now, this is a, I've put a, it's another blocky Melbourne house turd. Um, and just when you think you can't, they can't wipe their ass on any more licenses <laughs> at the moment in these various different games, this happens. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just bad beyond belief. This is a skid mark of licenses. It is truly <laughs> awful. I don't think I'm ever going to forget the shrill sound of that audio. Um, it's no. just something else. It's It's horrible. This game is just awful in every capacity. Now, what's and I know what I'm not going to go into a long diatribe, which I, I, I could. I'm not going to go into a long diatribe about the way that this license has been treated. They royally cocked this up because 2000 AD and that whole idea of that world and that game is such a strong setting for a game of some description. And other games do come from that that 2000 AD world later. Nemesis, the Warlock, and a number of others. And I think there's even a better version of a Judge Dredd game later down the line. Let alone films and all the stuff. There's such good grounding and footing for this now i'm not i say i'm not a huge fan of judge dread but even i was offended and that tells you a lot so for someone that uh, i know you do that really likes judge dread a lot i can only imagine this is like they just literally parted their ass cheeks and farted in your mouth um so i hated this i think it's absolutely awful and i don't think they should have given it 13 percent. i'd have been putting this in the lower fours and fives and really slapping melbourne house across the face and saying this is shit and you should not be making games like this you are taking advantage of people yet again and it needs to stop because this is getting stupid now. This is another license that is just an abomination and it deserves no more of my attention. And I suspect, and I have a funny feeling, this may very well have pissed you off this game. But <laughs> Oh, and then some. You know, in a, in, a, in a strange twist of fate, just having a look on uh, 1164, someone's put the scores up from other magazines and in keeping with their other scores, this got 8 out of 10 in CNVG. No, fuck them and all they stand for. <laughs> yeah yeah this did I, 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 it didn't make me angry so much it's just like it, you can't i couldn't get angry because it is so bad um, and, and i know you it's i know you were angered by scooby-doo last time I and I, I think my propensity to be angered at these games sort of thing is just wearing away i'm just getting worn down by them it's just i'm like you know it's just crap in it i put yeah you know, how do you mess up just dread so badly and it might you know similar to what you've read in a sea of licensed rubbish this is another shining turd of awfulness there's so much scope i'm not going to talk about the game you've spoken about it there's nothing more to say about it but you know there's so much scope in the judge dread universe to do almost anything you want and and and, and you know what the games this remind me of first of all there's just two games bad and good it reminded me of that basildon bond game yes actually yeah 
And that that. nonsense. And no one ever wants to be reminded of that Basil and Bond game from something else. It's just, you just don't want that. Um, It's awful that that music, it's, what the hell is it? I'll tell you what, Um, I'm I'm pretty sure that's been, that was created by a bloody, one of them, one of them creatures that whistles and kills pigeons. It's Neil Brennan, wasn't it? Fist 2 and and all the other stuff that Melbourne House do. So it's this, you know, normally the... They're okay, but this is, gr- no. you know, it's like having, I put it's a nail being forced into your skull. And then it reminded me that we've had, we've had this and it's much better. We had Mission AD. Yes. Because this is a yes. shit, this is a shit Mission, a- Mission AD. It is, yeah. Because you, you, yeah. you're, you're, you're different parts of the town chasing criminals yeah. and perps. We had that, that's Mission AD. We've done it. Yeah. And that's, that shows you that this could have been okay. And I'm not saying that you just slap the just dread visuals on Mission AD, but essentially what you've got is a futuristic place where you're chasing down assassins mm. and what have you and bad guys. And there you go. There's uh, there's just dread almost. If you yeah. if you want to do it yeah. that way, you do it like Mission AD. Because this is just an, an insult to the license. I, if I would 2000 AD at the time, whoever was owning it, whoever owned it, and I would have like I would have been flying around the other side of the world and and, and asking what the canal they were doing. Yeah. Um, because this this is like you said, I'm a big fan of just dread always have been I, I love the style of it the attitude of it just the 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 great great stories that reside within it there's so many of them that you could have chosen from to, to just drop this crap is you know uh let's speak no more of it because i could and you could and we could but yeah. let's it's not worth it is it no, it's not give it, it's, give it it's, no it's, more credence i mean I, I, the one refreshing thing is i actually went and looked because i thought maybe this was such crap but maybe on other machines it was better it wasn't. I looked at the Spectrum version and it was abs- It was even worse, if that's even oh possible. God, it's just, it's really? a crap game all around. Badly, badly made. Bad, crap, bad. You're bad, Melbourne House. Bad. Yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. Just crap. Yeah. Like Melbourne House, Ocean. Just these, these companies on a oh sort of shit cruise. Um, and that, well, that's all I can say. Yeah. It, yeah. I, don't, I do notice, by the way, that our level of swearing is going up inversely to the crapness of the game. <laughs> it is, but you know what? I do bleep out the, the any of the real swears. It's just I know, I know you do, I know. But it's just I've just noticed that earlier on we were like, oh, so you know, and that, now we're just like, God. Well, I think we have to because <laughs> this, this, I just, I'm, t- I'm, I tire of these, these, you know, I'm exhausted by these depressing licensed games because I know full well that the, that there's more to come and these are just. Just it's this one in particular. It's it's a, it's a really shocking example. Really bad. Yeah, really bad. Let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. Because next up we've got budget budget title. We've not had many budget titles, mm. um, but we've got a budget one here. Uh, it's got sixty nine percent. This is Molecule Man. So what is Molecule Man? It's a Massatronic game, I believe. It's a and you are Molecule Man, which is strange actually because you're not a man. You're a round blob with legs stuck. In a, in a leg stuck in it sticking out and you're a, a single color flick screen a single color flick screen isometric adventure yeah I just shivered <laughs> words that strike fear into the heart of all zap to the past listeners i've just shuddered <laughs> because you can probably guess what's coming up mm. <laughs> just fast forward for 10 minutes yeah uh anyway you have to find 16 circuits or something to get a teleporter to work to allow you to get out of this radioactive single color maze of hell and so it's, it's just a it's another one of those we haven't had one of these for a few few weeks, a few months maybe, but we've got another one here. So think your silos, think your chimeras. It's that. It's that. 
That's what it is. But to stay alive, because you, you are in this radio radiation, whatever, you've got to constantly pop anti-rad pills. You have 20 to start with, and more can be obtained from vending machines from around the maze. There's 200 screens of this nonsense to make your way around, and it's really slow. It, it was really, really painfully slow, because the C64 doesn't like this. It's clear that the C64 doesn't like this, but yes. this, I think, be- belies its... I think this was probably a Spectrum game and ported yeah, over. I don't doubt that. It looks like a Spectrum game. It feels like a Spectrum game. It smells like a Spectrum game, um, and, and I think that's what it is. So, yeah, there's also, weirdly enough, a level editor which you can create your own mazes in, yeah. and you can save them and play them in the game. Did you ever go at it? No. No, I didn't. It re- I had a crack. I thought, you know, I'll have a look. It's really fiddly and really awkward, and, to, and it's not joystick-controlled, which... So you have to use, and it's like uh, Spectrum, it's Q, Q uh, yeah. it, I can't remember what it's, Q and A and P and a, P and O to move left and right. So yeah. it was just betraying, it's uh, belaying its Spectrum heritage of keys. And, you know, I just quickly turned it off. And if I thought, well, if I'm going to play this, Builder Dash Construction Kit's been out already, showing you yeah. how to do a yeah. construction something. You know what to do. I get it, though. It's two quid. Is this two quid of, okay, uh, pfft, you know, if you like... I don't. I don't think it's any good. It's a, a, it's a two D isometric, you know, three D isometric slowathon. It's slow and distincts of spectrum to me, mm. um, and that's that's what I thought. That's what I thought about you, Harvey. What did you think? I thought this was a high res isometric nightmare. Um, <laughs> yeah. The pace was really slow with a really stupidly annoying walking sounds. So everybody walking goes. Dip it, dip it, dip it, dip it, dip it. I was like, oh, that that is going to annoy me very quickly at this pace. Controls from the dark side, um, definitely just stupid keyboard controls. And I thought this was about as much fun as watching a horse drown. Um, <laughs> so what? So watching uh, Never Ending Story? Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's at that level of fun, you know, where you're just watching some poor defenseless animal just slowly sink into a swamp, and there's nothing you can do about it, and you're just gonna have to watch it struggle, <laughs> and you know, as its its eyes just go underneath the sand, slowly blinking its last blinks. That's this game for me. I thought it was just, you know what. If you like slow isometric games and you like the puzzles that come with those, all the filly boots for one ninety nine, it probably is manna from heaven. Maybe if you like it, I just think it's too slow to be playable. The C sixty four doesn't do these games very well. Good riddance. And it's not. It's, this is not a game that I am ever going to like or any derivatives of it. So and yes, he might looked a little bit like an egg, and that's always a good thing in a game, but not in this one. <laughs> it is, yes. So yeah. no, Molecule Man. If, at least it was one ninety nine. That was my thought. Which is the only saving grace for it is that it's not an expensive game. But if you were going to pass a Sunday afternoon. With this, I mean, you need to plan some time ahead. You know, that's going to take the whole of your day just to get a few, a yeah. few of the screens. It's so ploddy and dull. Nah, 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 nah. No good. No good. C64 don't do these games very well. We've seen it time and time again now. No good. No good at all, no. Let's move along because that's Molecule Man. We've still got one, two, three, four games to come. We do. So let's move into our next one. Is it any better? Graham? Is it any better? Is uh, the nice, nicely named? I like the name Arctic Fox. Yes, yes. Does, a the, great does, name, the, does yeah. the name does the name lead us to a good game? Well, no. Let's find out. No, oh. it doesn't. Oh. No. Oh. Well, no, uh, no, no. It doesn't. This is another follow up to another early C sixty four game. So this is actually a follow up to nineteen eighty three's Stellar Seven. Now I don't know if you played nineteen eighty three Stellar Seven on the C sixty four. Never heard of it. Well, that's I didn't. Till I'd uh, till I dived into this, so I thought, well, I better go and play it and see what it's like. If you remember the arcade Battle Zone, mm-hmm. so it's that vector-based game. So uh, Stellar Seven was essentially a remake of that for the C64, made by the same company, Dynamic, same person, Damon Sly. Oh. So that was a Stellar Seven was a kind of a make of bat- remake of Battle Zone using vector graphics as well. 
So it, as we know from our many attempts at this on the C64, there's only really been maybe one or two games that manage it just. Vector graphics on the C64 are something that it doesn't do very well. No difference for this one then. So this was actually, Arctic Fox was developed for the Amiga. So this is yet another D-port. Now we know that these D-ports have fared well, haven't they? Star Glider was great. Eh, wrong. That was also a vector-based D-port. Stupid thing to do to try and take a 16-bit game and that uses filled vectors and speedily and put it into a machine that's completely incapable of delivering that, that thing. So the game itself is set in a fictional 2005. So it makes me laugh when these games are like, you know, it's even old now and that was the future then. Mad. Um, the future has taken present in the past, literally there. So, and the aliens have taken over Antarctica. <laughs> so, tactical error there, right? <laughs> wrong, yep. just talk about landing in the wrong bit. And they're attempting to steal the Earth's oxygen. Just seems to be the most difficult place to do it from, but never mind. That's where maybe it's easy there. So you've got to enter uh, the situation with your new super tank, the Arctic Fox, and go and stop them from doing so. So you control the tank as you pilot into the enemy territory with the goal of knocking out the alien bases and taking down the aliens. The aliens are all represented in this game as they were in the original Stellar 7 in Vector Styly. You can even go through and view them in Vector Styly by going through and viewing them in when you click on the button to see the sort of catalogue of spaceships and tanks and things that all look completely identical in a different geometric order. And so it's tank with long cannon, <laughs> tank with short cannon, spiky thing, thing that flies around and goes, and just it's just a sea of vector nonsense. So when you when you do go through that, think, wow, am I going to come across these things? Not in any meaningful way, you're not. Now, in amongst all of this, um, so when you're in your Arctic Fox tank, you're equipped with uh, cannons and guided missiles and landmines. You're outfitted with a radar, GPS. You've got a varying array of screens in front of you. And the vantage point for you is the cockpit of the Arctic Fox tank. You've got some GUI around you, which gives you an indication of things like, so you've got a target rescue in the middle, and then around you, you've got some indications of direction, the oxygen levels, obviously you're running against the clock and a game time clock. You've got some damage indication. And then bottom left, you've got the weapons control, which you're accessed via your keyboard. So you've got guided missiles, Drop. you can drop mines, you can do the rear view and change your cannon inclination, reverse, and you can even hide and stuff like that. Essentially, you then shuffle around this landscape kind of vector slow. So, you know, it's fast when there's nothing there. Then as soon as a vector thing appears, it's like chuk, 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 chuk. So you play in that yep. kind of, and those are the parameters of the game. You have to just, you know, this game is going to do that. There's no, because it's mathematically challenging for the Commodore 64 to try and do this. So it's really trying to push the 64 into a very uncomfortable area because it just doesn't do this kind of stuff very well. So it's a challenge because you've got to get past that kind of dull shuffling around. Now, if you can, and there are some really nice, interesting AI strategic things that happen in the, in the context of this game. So in amongst all of the logic of the game, there's some clever stuff going on. It's inherited from the Amiga, the clever stuff. So it's got sort of, you know, they will follow you. The enemies will follow you around and they'll try and hide and they'll try and flank you and they'll, they'll do stuff that's an, in, unusual for a game of this type. You're never going to really experience any of that because it's no, just slow. No, you, well, you won't because it's just so slow and you're slow chugging around that it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, you can even like, there's a view in this where you can fire a missile and follow the missile from the missile's viewpoint. So you can sort of look at the missile tip, if you like, camera on it. What? But why... It's all good if you're on a 68,000 processor that has the capability to make that view interesting. This is an 8-bit C64. It doesn't have the capability. I don't care how good you are at coding. This is too much of a mathematical challenge for a C64's 6510 processor and, and, and VIC chip. It's just not going to be able to render this properly. And so it doesn't. The loading is mentioned in Zap. I didn't encounter any loading issues um, because I'm using an emulator. So it may have I did that. But according to Zap, you know, it's this terribly tedious loading that goes in and out of this game. And so for me, this is yet another deport of an Amiga game 
unnecessary on the C64. Starglider's only just come out. This is like another crap Starglider for me. It's pretty much the same idea. It's a battle zone-ish type thing, well out of its depth on the C64, unplayably slow, totally uninteresting to look at, and crap. Ultimately, crap. It shouldn't have been done. A deport, a bad move, bad game, bad. Did you like it or did you like any like the name? I like the name. Uh, that's about it. Boring nothing of a game that tries to do something with Battle Zone and ends up doing very little of anything. Mm. There's a white landscape and the slow vector tanks meandering around, um, which I shot and, and blew up. Yeah. I never saw any kind of AI. I didn't see anything clever in this. They've tried to put in some extras with missiles and the like, but nothing here is good. The vectors, you know, they're recognizably tanks. I guess is the best you can say, but it's nice. The landscape, though, is so bland and slow and it's turgid. It's not so much Arctic Fox as, uh, you know, Snow Sloth. Yes, it um, is. Or something, um, because it's nothing fast or anything about this. And it made me actually go off, and there's a, there's a game um, which, which they reference, and we could have covered it, but it was a... Is that Encounter? But back, yeah, it was a, it was actually mentioned in Zap. It was reviewed in Zap, but it was a pass blaster, so we didn't look at it. So maybe we need to go look at that and I'm look at that Mooncrest and maybe dig some of these old ones out that mm. we've actually sort of skipped over that we've not gone back and looked at. Yeah. Because Encounter is, you know, the best version of Battlezone on the C64 by a country bloody mile because it's fast and it's solid 3D and it's really quite impressive for its time. Yeah, we should look at that so really. Paul Wokes, isn't it, um, who did Mercenary. Mm. Um, so it's very cleverly done and it's just worth a look at. But it's way, way, way. I mean, this is just... It's just slow and boring. I, I, I wasn't aware that this was a deport from the Amiga. I, right. didn't, I wasn't it aware It was one of, of the first titles that uh, came out on the Amiga. Oh, was it? Yeah. I think it was almost a launch title, I think, for the Amiga. All right. Well, I wasn't aware of that, but it does show because this just, it's boring and dull. And I'm just fed up with these, you know, these vector boringness. We had Starglider um, and now we've got this and it's just, stop it. Stop mm. it, please. Stop making me play these. After yeah. we had 40 games this month. To be fair, I'd rather we had three games this month, but here, <laughs> but the amount of crap we played. Yeah. Um, but no, I didn't like Arctic Fox. I thought it was dull and boring and, and just as much fun as looking at a, a wasteland of snow would ever be. Yeah. There you go. That's Arctic Fox, 35%. Probably about right. Let's move on. <laughs> to people that come from cold places, because next up we've got the Vikings. <laughs> Throwing his axes up the thingy and climbing yeah, up them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think this is his name, but it might as well be. I've called him Jonas Ramboson. Yeah, yeah. There is a there is a Rambo-ish quality to there's this. A, there's there? a hint of Rambo to this game, should we say? Yeah, just a bit. Uh, because so here you are, Jonas Jonas Ramboson, son of Rambo, and you have decided, being the custody of a Viking, that you are going to plunder the, plunder the castle that uh, exists on Death Island. Now there are probably more nicer castles on. Pleasanter Island, like Moon- Moonlight <laughs> Island, um, you know, P- P- Cherry Island. Summer Isle. Like d- Actually, don't Summer go to Summer Isle. Isle. They'll burn you alive. Oh, God, no, no. Yeah, they will do. Yeah, and yeah. dance. Anyway, so off you sail and you land on the shore and it's it's Rambo. So uh, uh, anyway, so no, it's not. It's not Rambo. It's this game. Um, this is uh, Viking Rambo. I don't know how else to say. Uh, you run around the island um, and it's really strange but it's because mm. it's a strange logic to this game. The first thing you, you can't do anything. The the, vi- the visuals are weird, sort of thing, because it looks like while he's been on his boat, he's really been stuffing himself with a lot of fish. He does because he's a he's a he's a he's a portly Viking running around. You, first thing you got to do is find a sword, and it's that thing again where you're firing swords at people. We had yeah. this in something else. What that was was another game where you shot swords at people for no reason. Was it what was it was it a ninja game or something? I can't remember. And then you gotta find a shield, and then you have to find a ladder, which allows you to get the torch, 
which allows you to burn, burn the, you know, the burn villages down. Build, build villages down to find a mast and, and, and an oar, which then allows you to sail to the next island. I, I never found the. I, I got. I think I got to the ladder and I found the. I was burning down some things and I died. It's a blatant Rambo clone. The way that the enemies are, they run about. It looks. If you, it's just Rambo. It looks like Rambo. It's just a, Ram, a Rambo clone wearing Viking trousers, but it's not as good as Rambo. The visuals are okay. The enemies wander around randomly, lobbing spears in your direction. There never seems to be a great deal of logic to anything. It's just mindless. It's just literally mindless. You just there's no thought or cohesion to any of this at all. It's it's there's a decent tune though, which mm-hmm. was playing, which was all right. But after a while, you're just wandering around in this sort of strange, strange game. And he'd, I just I'd go play Rambo. I mean, Rambo. We we were we were not hundred percent positive on Rambo, but we agreed that it was playable and okay. Mm. This just feels like a, a, a poor Rambo clone, and so yeah. I'd just rather go play that and I'd turn this off. There's, there's things about this that I just the it's certain routes you have to take to get things. You kind of go down things. You, some nice bit, you know, walking behind things, and there's some nice graphical touches. But in the in the in the grand scheme of things, it's just it's just a Rambo clone, and I'm, it's not like we've seen loads of Rambo clones. But Rambo is a variant of Commando, mm-hmm. so we're getting these kind of things. And so okay, set it with Vikings. So it's like what we said about um, uh, LA SWAT. You're just dressing up a, another concept in some yeah. different different graphics uh, and that's what you've done here and you've tried to but the, the weird logic behind this is all is all over the place mm. and, and and none of it makes a lick of sense and and i don't even know really really what it's got to do with vikings no <laughs> so it was all right i think 55 percent. yeah probably somewhere around the 50s it's not terrible it's okay but it's just go play rambo I don't know. Did you did you enjoy your time as Janus Ramboson? <laughs> well, I but it was it's like a weird Nordic Rambo. Um, straight away, it looks like Rambo. I mean, you can't get away yeah. from it. As soon as it starts, it's like as soon as it started, and I had the two players running at me from sort of the diagonally. From I was like, this mm-hmm. feels like Rambo. Then as soon as I saw the trees and the way the village was off to the left, and it was in, yeah, I was like, this is this is Rambo. They've borrowed. They've clearly borrowed some design from Rambo here. Now, I wouldn't go as far as to say that they'd nicked code or anything like that. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. I don't know. But it did feel a lot like Rambo. A little bit too much. Yeah, the sprites are different. But so, and I think he throws knives in Rambo, doesn't he? I believe. Oh, you, yeah, you've got different weapons, don't you? I mean, you've got so, bow and arrows. Throw and... swords. I don't know. So, yeah. I get um, throwing a knife rather than throwing a sword, though. Yeah, knives yeah. Knives are small. Yeah, but you don't have an infinite supply of them. Anyway, it doesn't matter, does it? Swords even worse. Matter. So it is kind of a run around and, you know, do this this Rambo in Viking clothes is what it is. There are some nice little touches here and there. Like you say, the graphics are okay. Nothing special. It's a 55% all day long. It's neither offensive, not terrible. It's a bit pricey for what it is, maybe. But mm. there's worse full price games we've seen. Um, the music's Ben Daglish, I think. Um, and it's the music's quite good. It's it's okay. It's If you like Rambo type games, if you like your Who Dares Wins, Rambo, LA SWAT, if you like that kind of cluster of games where you do this kind of thing where you're a sprite running around shooting at the sprites, doing stuff like spritey things do, you're going to like this Viking variant. So uh, it's I suppose it's decent enough. 55%'s about right. It's kind of, it's it's very media. It's very mediocre game in a sea of average. It's a very average game. There's nothing great about it. It's nothing terribly offensive about it. It's just average. Um, mm. But it's not a great version of that kind of game. There are better, as in Who Dares Wins or Rambo is better than this. But if you like that kind of thing, you know, if you fancy sticking on a Viking helmet and you know getting all Nordic, go do it, go to it. But you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of like you say, there's no point in this being a Viking game. It has no Viking iconography other than a horned helmet and some huts, which is a little bit offensive, really, for the old. It's a bit of a Viking stereotype. 
the whole, you know, <laughs> running around with, you know, throwing swords at people, setting fire to huts and, and, you know, raping and pillaging and all the stuff that, you know, isn't what it was about. But they were, they were, you know, they were essentially fishermen settlers, you know, they were, anyway, let's not get into a historical battle about the Nordic consistency well, was, of this Rambo It was made plane. by, it's the guy, I think it's made by, I, 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 apologies to our, Soren, yeah, yeah, no, I think, I think it's, Backager, so I, I think, think They've tried something, yeah. and I admire them for trying something. But this reminds me of when a student turned up with that game where they were, you know, it was the game where there was, I won't even describe the idea, but you'll know the game it was when there was certain people trying to cross a certain borderline and you were the police trying to shoot them off the off the fence. And there was the student that turned up who'd made that game. Um, oh, right. and, we, and, you know, we had to make him change it to zombies because it was like, that's ne- you can never make that game happen again. Um, and so <laughs> I it just ended up, being a, oh, it was, it ended up being a zombie shooter game as opposed to, you know, it was called, uh, the name of the original game was Mexican Madness. That just gives you an oh idea of the, thema- yeah, exactly. So it was, it was changed <laughs> in the end to something completely different. And thank, thankfully, you know, we, we stepped in with the decency police and was like, excuse me, you can't, you just can't do that. But so, so this feel this isn't like that. I have to say it's nothing as offensive as that, but it's just Viking for Viking's sake. There's, there could have been Nordic runes and there could have been a bit more Viking-y stuff and they could have really la- layered it into that. And that might have given it a bit more weight in terms of its credibility in the Viking world because it would have looked less like Rambo if they'd have done a bit more of that. But it is what mm. it is. And for f- 55%, it's about right. So there you go. There we go. Well, that's the Vikings with no uh, Burt Lancaster or Tony Curtis in sight. Which is a shame. Anyway, let's move on. We have... This isn't an arcade conversion, is it? No, it is not. No, it is not. But tell us all about... What's this, 1943, one year later, one year after? Yeah, one year, yeah. One year later, yeah. Or as Zap called it, 10 minutes later. Nine, they said they should call it. They said they should call it 1942. Ten minutes later, because we've only done 1942 about three weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah, or- yeah, exactly. So this is basically a ripoff of 1942. Essentially, this is coded by somebody called Bernd Arlbach, and <laughs> but get this, designed by Grieve Graphics. So oh, I'm just, no. just going to leave that there. That's craptured, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. I'm just going to leave. We're just going to park that. So this is a crap 1942 clone. Now, the 1942 itself wasn't a particularly good version of 1942 on the C64. So they've come along with this, and they haven't made it one louder. They've just made it one crapper. Um, <laughs> this is, it's the same basic logic. So you are an airplane flying over midway, shooting stuff. This has a thinner play area than natural 1942, because one of our complaints of 1942 on the C64 that it was too fat. It was too fat and wide and not tall and thin, um, yeah, yeah. which the arcade is obviously tall and thin, a different ratio, in fact. And that gives you more screen real estate to manoeuvre and do things. When it's wide, you can't do that. So this tries to mitigate that by shrinking the play area to a sort of a, yeah. a chunk of the screen. Okay, okay, that's that's a reasonable response. And then puts a map-ish mm-hmm. down the side. That's a reasonable response to that problem. Okay. It's not really a map, though. It's just kind of... It, just looks like someone. It's someone, like the map from Flash Gordon. It is. It's just bogeys. You know, it's just bogeys on the side of the screen. It's just flying over bogeys. Gives you a sense of what bogey you're over, but there's no indication of anything else on it. And so you you fly over the main screen. So obviously you are flying an aeroplane and uh, you've got to shoot the aeroplanes that come at you in different waves and patterns. A la 1942. So it's got that 1942 logic. All the graphics are smaller in this and also much more difficult to see. Mm-hmm. So um, the main sprite player is okay. Quite, there's a really well animated loop the loop, but 
the loop loop's so short. It's overly animated. Well, it is, but if that loop loop is such a tight loop, that G-Force would actually snap your pilot's neck like a chicken. <laughs> so it's, it's just, it's like a dangerous, it's a dangerous manoeuvre. It's, it's not going to help you. That's actually gonna, just going to kill the pilot. <laughs> so you've got this thinner play area. The game plays out on that. Um, the graphics are smaller, very difficult to see. You're mostly attacked by silhouettes in this. So the airplanes that attack you are just black, complete black silhouettes that fire black dots. And I suppose it's a cop-out way of not having to really draw anything because you're just drawing shadows of things, really. Yeah. Um, and they fly around in formation, as black silhouettes do. So you're kind of menaced by them, really. You can shoot at them, and it's just, you know, it's, it's a rip-off of 1942. So, you know, insert, you fly upwards, periodically shoot enough stuff, and then you'll land again, and you take off again, shoot more stuff, take off, land, take off, land, take off. I don't know how many times you should do it, because it probably goes on forever. I don't know. I didn't play it for forever myself. After I'd you know killed a sixth pilot by doing a loop the loop, I figured I'd probably best to stay away from the the air, air force for a while. Um, so it's it's a bad rip off of a bad game, which is kind of hilarious. So they've just made a bad game worse. It's a terrible thing to do. Now I don't know much about Burnt Alback. It sounds very painful though, whatever that is. Um, so oh, but ah, burnt my back. But I'm not going to take the mickey out of him. He's just a guy. He did a game that's not very good. I don't like the idea that the airplanes shoot little tiny black dots on a background that makes them impossible to see, and you just get killed a lot. Um, and of course, the lives are terribly unforgiving in this, as with 1942. So there's no continue. It's just perpetual garbage. Uh, so yeah, it's this is 9.95. Honestly, honestly, you you know just if you have bought this for 9.95, thinking it's anything other than crap, I feel sorry for you. And weirdly, a 1943 actual version does come along, I think later, which is probably hopefully better than all these rubbish ones. So 1940 poo, and this is now 1940 we. <laughs> so there you go. That's my thoughts on it. Don't bother with it. Just, it is just, you know, this took two minutes to build, I think, and, and it's a lifetime to to try and get over the purchase you made. What about you? <laughs> yeah, it's bloody awful. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> so it's so soon. I put so soon, a follow-up to 1942. This too must soon. be better. It's too this soon. This must be better. Hmm. So like you, what, I, I thought, okay, look, what do they get right? The ratio. Yeah. <laughs> the screen ratio. That's it. It's good to see that they've set it down the middle of the screen and emulated arcade ratios for a vertical scrolling shooter that I liked. Yes. yes. Nice. Uh, that's it. This is so odd. Why? Why does the intro? Why does the intro of landing and, and why so as well? Long. Why does it take so long? Why do they do the breakthrough thing? What is it with arcade conversions where they start you off the map, off the screen? Yeah, that is because weird. you you're in you're in black you're in the just a black bit and then the blue bit scrolls yeah. down like in breakthrough where you start on yellow and it, the screen scrolls. What are they thinking? They're not. It's called bad programming. It is. That is true. Why is my role so overly animated? Um, and at the, the design, uh, I presume they're high respect because the, the actual animations on the ghosts, because I thought I was shooting ghost planes. I thought that's what this was. I thought this Maybe was the memory. Be. I thought this was the memory of 1942. And so all the, all the, all the planes had been shot down and all it was, was like you float. So in my head, this is like the haunted version. So you're, you're going up this thing and it's just ghost planes. And so this is the memory. This is like some kind of weird flashback of someone who's having sort of PTSD episode of that's flying me. back over it. <laughs> and, and, and that's what I thought this was. Yeah. Because you can only fire. Why can you only have two bullets of yours on screen at once? Why? You know, I should be able to keep pressing the fire <laughs> button. A bullet should you, keep you appearing. <laughs> no, because they've obviously not thought like, oh, that's all we can render. <laughs> we need to wait till they're off. Yeah. So yeah, I can have some more. Uh, use characters. Use characters. Soft yeah. sprite, you know, um, oh, software dude. sprites. It's just, it's so odd. 
it's when I played it, I was like, oh, okay, we've got another 943. And the ratio came up, I went, oh, this could be interesting. It takes a bit of while. The boat's not too bad, although it looks like it's made out of wood um, yeah. from the back end. It looked, reminded me of the side of the uh, old Atari VCS. Yeah. So I thought that I was landing on a massive Atari VCS at one point. <laughs> Um, and then I went off, and then I went off in a in a memory fueled ghost plane shoot 'em up, mm. which you know there's mileage in that idea. Yeah, not this though, not like this. Nope. Um, because this is turgid crap. <laughs> um, there's no other way to describe it. There isn't. It, it's the only so way odd. this could be made more offensive is if Bern Albach turned up with a <laughs> toilet tube, cardboard tube from a toilet roll in his asshole, put it in your open mouth, and just farted through it. Just you know, yeah. just, and just did a real. You know, a real powerful fart right directly in your mouth with a with a cardboard <laughs> tube. And even then, I think this game would be worse. I think you might get I wonder over if, that. And I wonder if Owlback actually in English is owl bear. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it, you know, burnt. It, it, uh, 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 there's no way this. I don't think it should have ever been released. I think Grieve Graphics must have stole it from it's his house of, or something. It's a bit of a joke, isn't it? Because yeah, there is yeah. actually a proper conversion. Yeah. Coming in 1988 of 1943, is, which will be uh, decent. Battle for Midway. I, I seem to remember well, one I, of them being decent. I, I, I'm looking at it. <laughs> I want to hold out much hope. Yeah. You know, how do you get it wrong? <laughs> but either way, this one is pantaloons. Pantaloons. Pantaloons, indeed. Right, that's it. That's 1943, the year that won't go away. No. So we've got one more game left in this mahoosive coverage of February uh, 1987. So let's let's move on to that. Our last game is another Epics game. Uh, we have a second entry from Epics, and couldn't be more different from Destroyer if it tried. I think. Yeah, uh, totally uh, different. This is totally different. This is a uh, Championship Wrestling. So, what's Championship Wrestling? Well, it's a wrestling game. You know, clues in the title. So, after the you know muddy, should we say rock, rock or bop and wrestle, mm. uh, Epics throws its hat into the wrestling ring with Championship Wrestling, uh, and you can choose from up to eight wrestlers. And you have two players, so it's a you know, so it's a wrestling game. You see it from a more of an isometric view, don't you? So it's like yeah. a sort of from, from one corner is how you see this. So you've got eight to choose from. Now I'm not a massive 1980s wrestling fan. I think you're more up on those kind of characters than me. There's probably one I can recognise because these are all kind of pastiches, I think, aren't they? Yeah, over they're, existing they're, wrestlers. Yeah, they look in look. The names I'm not so sure about. Not really. the names, but the looks. I mean, yeah, you've got yeah. Casey Colossus, who was Hulk Hogan. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because he's in. He's got he's got blonde mustache and yellow pants. Yeah. Yeah. Then we've got Purple Haze, Colonel Ruski, P. Vicious, Xantaclaw, which made me laugh, <laughs> Zeke Weasel, Berserker, and H. Manslayer, who was uh, it's like the native Indian with the headdress and everything, isn't it, I think? Yeah, I, was, I can't, wasn't I can't there remember a, the names now. Jimmy the, the, I'm pretty and... sure that these... I bet if you went back and looked at the 80s they wrestlers... They would be, they would you, be, you would it's see, epics, yeah. Yeah, you would see their, their, uh, what they were yeah. basing them on. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so... Essentially, what it's a wrestling game. You've got a practice mode, and then you've got competition mode, multiplayer mode. And so the practice mode is you just you know practice. Although it's not much for practice, I just got my ass handed to me immediately. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be quick. I'm out of that. <laughs> so it's like I started. It went practice. I thought practice mode would be like right. We're going to teach you how to play. No, it's going to teach you how to lose. Oh, okay, right, fair enough. So then I went. So I thought, well, okay, I'll take the championship mode. So the championship mode is your kind of standard. This game I thought had a lot of things in it which you would see down the line in other beat 'em ups. This has more in common with beat 'em up games than mm -hmm. sort of as as in more arcadey things. So more like Tekken, more like Street yeah. Fighter. 
there's a lot of that in this because basically what you get is you get to you you fight through these characters in a much more presented way that you get in a kind of those in Tekken so where you where you go up against the character and they come on and they say that snappy one liner yeah, yeah, yeah. you know blah, blah and all those kind of games dead or alive and all those kind of games down the way this does that so when you first go up you pick your character and then uh, you, you put you put your name in the first the first uh, bit loads up because it's a multi load and so the first bit loads up and what you get is you get the sort of the ring but there's two like quite well animated and well drawn like character portraits in the mm-hmm. top left and top right um, and they both sort of have little sort of stings of language and, and there's a music you know music plays over the both of them kind of like what you get in those you know those later beat em ups I thought that was quite interesting and this plays like that because the first fight is quite easy and then they get progressively harder as you move through it's kind of like you know what we saw in, uh, in boxing games and all that kind of stuff but this sort of felt more in line with those later games anyway once you fight so once you've chosen all this, you get to the fight, you have 25 moves at your disposal. And the, the goal is just to try and pin your opponent to the canvas for three seconds. It's only once. I think the rounds are only three minutes long. Um, so you've only got one round. You've got to pin them down. You can kick them. So you can do a lunge kick. There's loads and loads. And it's 25 moves, depending on what's going on at any one moment in time. And it's what this is. I mean, it's clearly based more on the US side of wrestling than the UK because there's it would have been interesting to see like Big Daddy and Giant Ace-Dax and, <laughs> God, and then those kind of equivalents in this <laughs> and Kendo Nagasaki and stuff. Uh, so that's that. The graphics are pretty good. Um, I thought the, the sprites are quite well drawn. Um, again, there's, I think there's a lot of sprites, so it does suffer a little bit from that rock and wrestler. No, not quite as bad in that bit of staccato animation. It's not There's, there's not enough sprite data, I think, to really animate these properly. The, the music's okay for the wrestlers, but there's, there's nothing special. The in-game noises are all right. It's, it, I thought this was just a bit like Rock and Wrestle. It's a bit better, but it's, it's again, it's hard to control. And, and, and you're never quite sure if you've got to pull off the move that you want, you're actually attempting to try and pull off. Mm. It just felt a bit arbitrary if something would happen. There was one point where I had someone knocked out and they were on the floor. And, and I kept trying to pin them down. But it just kept doing a flying kick at them, which was completely useless because they're on the floor. Eventually, I, I managed to get round them and did a pin, but it took ages and, and, and we just lost all momentum. And I was like, oh, just, just pin them. I quite like some of the comments that pop up in the crowd. There's more atmosphere in this because Ross and Rock and Wrestle was really empty, wasn't it? There was no yeah, crowd was, or anything. Yeah. But this has a, you know, and that that other god-awful American, the, the boxing one, Fight Night. Mm-hmm. Um, this actually has a really decent crowd, which sort of joins in and puts up placards and stuff and says, you know, you know, boo and things like that. I thought I quite like that. This sort of has a bit more of a cartoony atmosphere to it, which is good and it's nice to see. I just think that these wrestling games just have they're a bit finicky and and it's too hard to get all those moves out of eight directions and a button. Mm. It just doesn't kind of work. And I wonder and I wondered like we've recently played it whether if they tried some kind of Uchi Mata style of control with the sweeps and the rolls and the moves and that kind of that kind of way maybe that could have worked better. It's technically quite impressive this, but it's just a bit bitty and I think didn't quite connect with it. I don't know, it just feels that it's just the controls are in the way. But also and just as a final note, um I found it impossible if I was pinned down to get out, it was mm. done. You, you can never get back up again. You're done. It's all right. They gave it 80%, which I think was, yeah, present. I think it's all right. I think maybe you probably, maybe a little bit lower, but it's okay for what it is. I think it's, you know, it's better than rock and wrestle, but is, is, is there, what, how did you get on with your bout of championship wrestling? I'm like you actually, I thought this is a decent attempt at a wrestling game all said and done. And it's got that epics kind of polish. You know, this is epics again, pushing themselves into the sports game arena and they come back and do this kind of stuff with all the various California games and all the other games stuff. You know, these they get quite good at this kind of stuff um, and they just about pull it off with this. And I say just about. Um, it's by no means perfect. 
So I think the graphics are okay, but they're a bit compressed. And so because they're a bit compressed, um, this the playing area of the ring is, a, is, is actually quite small, which compounds the kind of problems of the controls because there's 25 moves that you can do, as you say. And I'd be buggered if I could do any or many of them. And by on, certainly not on purpose. I'm not sure how or why some of yeah. them just happened, I think. And there was no space to manoeuvre in the game. It's not like the ring is kind of a big thing when you're wrestling. You've got enough space to run backwards and forwards and do stuff. And that's the one thing that Rock and Wrestle did really sort of convey was that space. This yeah. is a bit cluttered. It's tight, isn't it? It is. It just feels compressed. And I think that compounds the problem of the game is that it's, it feels like more of a scramble than an actual game where you're playing an arcade logic. Um, so you'd need to practice a lot. And like you say, the practice is actually totally unforgiving. It doesn't actually teach you how to play the game, which is really stupid. A real misfire mm. that. Um, so you're better off putting it in two-player and just, you know, do, maybe doing that way or, or maybe just trying to figure it out. I think you might like this. If you like wrestling, there's enough razzmatazz. And as you say, that dressing around the game is really what really give, lifts this from just being kind of similar territory to rock and wrestle. So it lifts it a bit. I think because it's obviously a Pixar and American company, I think, aren't they? So... This is mm. this has got you know, they, they're obviously a bit more familiar with the the razzmatazz of the wrestling pro wrestling in the US, so it has more of that in it. I mean that's clear, and the presentation of the game and everything else is pretty good. That is what lifts it up. So I think that's why it got eighty percent. I think other than that, it would have been in the sixties had it not really had that kind of presentation around it. But you know, Epics did the same thing with the movie Monster game. It was a, it wasn't a great game, but it had all the presentation around it. They're pretty mm, good at that. Yeah, yeah. And so this is just, you know, just about gets away with being okay. I wasn't a fan of the game. Um, there was an arcade game similar to this, actually, that played on a slightly bigger screen and uh, slightly bigger real estate in terms of on-screen space. can't remember the name of that now, but someone out there will probably be able to find it. But there was an arcade wrestling game of a similar kind. And there are, you know, you could do all the different moves and everything. But if you haven't got the space to do them and you haven't got the joystick control, is actually super complicated. But if you look at the control map on the in the instructions, I put the link in the show notes and i'll put the link in there and uh, put the link in the uh, in our show notes um mm. to the instructions it's a really complicated map of trying to figure out you know press fire but you're this far away and then you grab them and then you, once it's in this position you can do you haven't got time you haven't got time to plan a move like that it needs to be grab do throw or grab in move this is why games like ik plus and international karate and where they explain this that's why those games work 16 moves on a joystick with those that amount of directions makes sense. And that, that would be better yeah. to just do that. You don't need overcomplicated moves, I don't think. I think that because they're trying to over-egg that pudding, it actually affects the way you play the game. And I think that makes it not greatly approachable for me. So I think it's 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 nearly there. It's just, you know, it's got the front end and it's got some nice touches. But other than that, I think um, this is a, it's just it's just not quite there enough for me to get into it. So... That's what I thought. Um, it's you know, it's not a bad game to end on though, because this has been a, a series of episodes. You know, February, um, the issue of February with our forty plus games. There's been some stinkers in there. At least this one's not as bad as some of the you know the Cobras of this world or the Scooby Doo's or you know Judge the nineteen forty threes or the Judge Dreads. So there's just you know we could list them all. I'm not going to do that, but um, at, <laughs> don't, please at, don't. At least it's a knock. It's at, a knockout. At least this looked the part. And I remember seeing screens of this game in, in in early magazine screenshots, and I remember thinking it actually looks amazing. And if you look in um, on the games that weren't website, there's actually an entry for this of an advert of what it you know a pre-release advert which looks where they've clearly just you know drawn the graphics up in some kind of art oh, package. Right, okay. But it, parts of it still do have the look and feel of it. So it's not exactly like that. But I think they did manage to pull off more or less what they aimed for. So just it doesn't quite get there in terms of its playability for me. But anyway, that's the uh, that's championship wrestling for me. So 80%, about, about right, actually. And that, yeah, 
And that does our mammoth coverage of all the games <laughs> from February 1987. But we're not done. We are not done yet. We have some crap verts. So we've got three, in fact. So uh, let's let's quickly go through these. I, have you got them open? Have you? Have you I got have. Them? Yes, I can see um, them. Have you seen that first one? <laughs> I am, yes. I'm looking at what can only be described as a <laughs> 70s metal band in holding axes. And for some reason, he's, he's, he's dangling. He's, he looks like he's about to teabag a cat. <laughs> so this is the advert for Blood and Guts uh, by Action. Uh, oh, I've never heard of. Which I, th- I think Action, though, are the people who just released 1943. Well, that's not boding uh, so well. I think, it's a, I, think, I think it might be the same people. A barbarian decathlon does not sound like a good idea for a game, especially based on the It's a Knockout we no, just played. No, it really doesn't, doesn't it? What mm. the, um, I don't know what to make of this. Um, so, yes, this is Blood and Guts. We've got... I, I don't... I, I'm trying to sort of figure out what kind of artistic style this is. Is it just airbrushed nastiness? What is it? Well, I tell you what it is. It's anatomically challenging is what it is. We haven't seen muscles like this since uh, Knockout and Amazon muscles. Warrior. The guy's nipples are in the wrong place. He's got he's got problems, that guy. His <laughs> stomach muscles are just weird. It looks like he's got some kind of stomach mouth and his, his nipples like, are too, <laughs> too wide apart. His nipples know, are too all, far. They've all got four packs. They've got four packs um, and ribbies, massive ribbies going on. <laughs> um... And there's so so yeah so this is the advert for blood and guts. There's a stone in the middle with blood and guts carved onto it. Surrounded it are three barbarians, of various in various attire. Um, the one on the right, uh, yeah, and it literally does look like man of war or something, doesn't it? It's just it horrific. I just I just want to draw your attention to something because it's horrific, and that is his creamy horn. <laughs> well, I was going to get to his creamy horn. <laughs> is it, why, why, is his, know- why is his horn shooting cream? Why? I don't know. But the one who's knelt down, have you also noticed that there's like a little ferret face poking out behind there his is. knee? He's got pink <laughs> boots. Come on. Come on. The but barbarians the, didn't wear that. But the one on the right, um, so the one on the right is between his open legs um, is a cat yes, who looks yeah. terrified. He's stood he's on his tail. Just lo- he's, uh, well, he obviously just looks on his tail, but I would not be stepping on the t- tail of a cat when I when it's that close to my dangles. Yeah, well, he's, he's, he might have <laughs> torn its way out of his underpants. That cat is going to have them. Well, that cat looks like it's torn its way out of his pants because they look shredded. No. Something bad is going on He's there. got a really little axe. I know. And the guy on the left as well is really proud of his belt buckle. That is a very shiny belt buckle. I mean, they've uh, clearly borrowed the, the character, the two back characters there. I'm thinking as much as this is bizarre, that's a heavy metal, bab, you know, heavy metal or motorhead version of Conan. And then to his, <laughs> to his left is uh, Mako the wizard. Yeah, buff, buffed up beyond belief. Buffed up and holding his his creamy creamy horn. <laughs> That's disturbing me. It's dripping on. It's dripping on the rock. It's dripping. He's got. A, it's, why is it dripping? What's it dripping with? Why? <laughs> he's just got. You know, he's got. A, he's got a, a, a horn full of froth. Yeah, but why? <laughs> I'm not sure that sounds any better. Because <laughs> that because he's obviously been blowing that on, and why is it spurting out white cream? <laughs> don't know. I don't. Well. Also, as well, look how he's holding his axe. He's holding it all wrong. His grip, his, his grip is, is is the wrong way round. Health he's got and his safety hand. nightmare. It's like that. It's, it's just it's front on. He's going to have to swing that axe like that. Well, have you noticed that the person who drew the, drew the underpants also must have drawn that rock because the rock's got frills at the bottom. Look, so <laughs> yeah, I think just, that's I think that's grass. 
coming up. I think he's just put frilly edges on things. <laughs> oh, what is this? An ancient barbarian decathlon with all the violence and brutality you've ever dreamed about in a computer game. Did you dream about blood and violence no, and brutality? No, I don't. I know, I, now, I do like the stone with blood and guts carved in it. Now, that I do like. That's a nice. That's a, That's nicely done. It didn't need the trio of uh, 70s barbarian slash rock uh, band members, you know, so it no. did, didn't need uh, Black Sabbath during their barbarian phase <laughs> to be involved. Um, but uh, it doesn't, it, it doesn't does need, it need a a red on green, doesn't need red on green text because it's no. I- I- illegible. No, it doesn't. And this it, underneath, is that actual writing or is that just weird, a weird sentence of runes for some reason? What, at the top and at the bottom? If you look at the top underneath the third line of the text, it looks like it's yeah, just it's written just, in runes. It is runes, yeah, but they're, yeah. Also, they're also right down the bottom left as well. I wonder if it's a cipher and if it actually would translate something if you could be asked to decode that. No, Which I can't. More anatomically challenging. I mean, his hair is, you know, that moustache, honestly. Mm. Just no. And his right, his right knee is, is, is ripe for the, the going. Ooh, that, yeah, and he's, no, it's all kinds of painful wrong that. I mean, you know, there's a lot of shading in those cloaks and those underpants and... Stuff, There's too it? much shading. I know, and I don't. He's wearing a tunic, isn't he? And you know, a Hessian tunic does not make you look manly. <laughs> yeah, that's just that's just saying that you need to go out and invest a bit more in your in your clothing. Never mind your gold belt. Get a decent tunic. Bloody idiot. Oh, there we and go. For God's sake, go. clean your horn. <laughs> clean stop it. it fro- stop it frothing over everywhere. You're, you're spilling it, it could... on the rock. <laughs> yeah, Ugh. it's actually dripping, isn't it? It's mid drip. It's gross. Oh, there we go. That's uh, blood and guts. Up next, we've got another cracker from Microgen. Oh, God. So I got this because I thought this looks very, very similar in style to that stupid cop-out one we looked at. Very similar, yeah. It's the same thing, but this is SAS Strike Force. Yeah, yeah. But Now, I ask you, right, in a world where you can typeset, um, why would you draw the Strike Force? Because that's clearly been drawn by someone with a pen. I mean, that's just yeah. that's, that isn't that isn't using a typeface or even a ta- you know a letter set book that you might have used when these. Because one of our, our Patreon members, Andy, I think, had pointed mm-hmm. out that maybe some of these older some of these older uh, crapverts were using you know they weren't using the modern techniques that we take advantage of today. You know the um, the usual um, desktop publishing software, and that clearly doesn't because that SAS looks like it was sprayed on the Strike Force, like it was drawn with a biro and then coloured in. Yeah. And then the micro gen is clearly cut out badly and just stuck on with Pritt stick on top of an explosion. And then in front of that, it's just pasted a, a, a paramilitary person. It's not just an explosion, is it? It's like the heart of the universe going off. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't be stood there casually, stood there with that going behind you. Your lungs would be liquid from the, well, from the yeah, shock. In the, in, in the sort of cliche of the walking away from an explosion behind you this this must win surely because he's not even walking he doesn't even seem aware no. of it no he doesn't actually he's completely oblivious to the ginormous <laughs> ball of fire which is going to incinerate him at any second <laughs> absolutely that's, the, no that's the last selfie of that soldier yeah well yeah no balaclava is going to save you from that <laughs> no. that heat wave that's no, coming isn't. towards you no i mean the fact is that the fire is that close i mean the sonic boom has already happened so he, would, he should mm. have heard it but clearly he's deaf and the shockwave that comes out of that, by that point, would have liquefied his lungs and his eyeballs would have exploded. So at this point, by the time the fire's getting to you, that's the least of your worries. Which is probably why he's very casually just standing there. Standing there. Very well-drawn SAS guy, I guess, if that's what he is. Um, is no, it drawn a, or is it a picture? I don't know. Well, that's what I mean. Very, well, it's very well-drawn picture. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. It's Either way, that, it, that's the best bit of it. The rest of it's just silly. It is silly. Let's very move silly. on. Because we've got more Anko madness. Oh, no. Anko, Anko. <laughs> 
they just don't do this stuff anymore, do they? Magic Madness from Anko. It was the bottom one that got me because it's Escape from Paradise. <laughs> what? Why? Because uh, read this blurb for this. Joe had created a paradise deep underground, but finds his route has been blocked by strange creatures with strange powers and he must escape to survive. Joe has to move from room to room using any device that he can to help him reach the top and make his escape. But in the picture, he's running back in. <laughs> he is, yeah. He's running out from the island back into the... <laughs> so it what makes no that? sense. The complex is huge and, has, and the obstacles are too many, okay? But Joe okay. knows that if he perseveres, he will escape and then run back in <laughs> with his mate. <laughs> God, if it was, I mean, uh, it's just they do these really. I mean, he's got a very bad lean on, hasn't he? He's, he's kind of, yeah. it's like he's, he's, he's going to fall over. There's no way around it. He's falling over. And then if you look at the top in, in the badly named Magic Madness, I mean, come on. Yeah. It's not much imagination. Escape from Paradise is bad enough, but Magic Madness, where the acquisition of the four scrolls of magic, he hadn't even bothered naming them anything exciting. Nope. Apart from when you get Colo, the sorcerer can be challenged. I mean, come on. Caring's choice of weapons. So lightning fast action, caring choice of weapons and strategy are vital in overpowering goblins, skeletons and all henchmen. <laughs> Just, yeah, another henchman, yeah. There's no, there's no other thoughts being put to that game. You know, goblins, no, no. skeletons, anything else in it? Oh, all the henchmen that are in that. It's all terrible. the henchmen. What, what henchmen? All of them. And then weirdly at the bottom, you've got an advert for a bad advert for Voice Master, which is obviously yep. some kind of speech synthesis tool. It seems really strange to have that on there. <laughs> Yeah, why, why? I mean, if you're paying for a, a page of uh, adverts, you might as well put three on, you know. Yes, yes, absolutely. I love the way they've got the screen grabs pointing at the game they're from. Like, you couldn't figure that out. <laughs> yeah, the, sc the scroll makes no sense either as well because it, um, it's sticking out on both sides as it goes in, which yeah. means that it's 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 wider. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. And, it's, and they've written on the outside of the scroll at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. So that so as you curl the it back. in, yeah, that'd be on the back, yeah. <laughs> Think, think of that, did you? A bit stupid, that. Oh, it's bad. It's yeah, bad. I did like that one. Yeah, yeah, there we go. This is a long episode, so let's finish. Yes. Um, let's just round off this month, February, with a, we've got a chart for you. Hey. So this is from uh, Commodore User, what was going on. So the top 10, uh, at number 10, staying at number 10, is Fist 2. Mm -hmm. Down to number 9 is 180. Good. Down to number 8 is Trivial Pursuit. Okay. Down to number 7 is Ace of Aces. Mm-hmm. Uh, at number six is Konami's Coin-Op Hits. Mm, compilation, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Down to number five is World Games. Mm -hmm. uh, these are all up now. So it's up to number four is Flash Gordon. Up to number three is BMX Simulator. Um, and they, uh, we start to see the rise of the arcade conversions because then at number two is Gauntlet. Up to number mm. two is Gauntlet. And up to number one is Paperboy. There you go. These were the big games, it says, for Christmas 1986. So they were the big titles that were gouging us of our money. Just baffling about that. If you look at the blurb on the right-hand side, it says at the bottom, Gauntlet came back to take the number one slot in the general chart due to massive Spectrum sales. I don't, I don't think I've seen the Spectrum version of Gauntlet. I don't know if it's any good no. or not. I guess it must be. No. Anyway, just, anyway, just thought it was an interesting aside. Is there anything else in there? They sold three. No, I mean, it's the, it's the Commodore 64 chart. Is it com from Commodore Uzi, you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, you know, there's probably games that don't even exist in there, chart. They're weird. Probably. Okay, so uh, we've still got, I mean, March is... A big old month as well i think it's 29 games so we'll see how we'll sort of flip, split them apart we'll have a look uh what we got i don't know most of these we're actually going to look at that blood and guts agent orange chameleon dandy the double double take 
It's mm. it's, it's none of these sound good. Erebus, Falcon Patrol 2. Do you know, have you noticed there's not a Sizzler or a gold medal among them? No, no. Football of the Year, Football Fortunes, Future Night, Future Handball Night. Maradona. I Future Night being quite good. Three football games there. Football of the Year, Football Fortunes and Handball Maradona. Mm. I'm hoping Football Fortunes is like Family Fortunes. You never know. But for football. So there's two football teams on either side <laughs> with Les Dennis. It'll be Max Bygraves back then, won't it? Oh, God. That'd be cool. Labyrinth. Oh, that'd be interesting. Excellent. Mutants. Oh, uh, mutants. mutants. Right. I remember Nos- Mutants being good. Nosferatu, Ollie and Lisa. Nosferatu is isometric, isn't it? I think so. I think it is. No, pneumatic Hammers. Okay. Raid 2000, which sounds like um, uh, an ant killer. It does. <laughs> uh, Repton 3. Isn't okay. that a BBC conversion? Yeah, it sounds, it's got the, I think it's a bit like a... My feeling is that rep, the Repton games are a bit like the... Balderdash? Uh, Balderdash, but we'll see. I think. Yes. Could be wrong. Skate Rock. Which I thought was a brand of music. Star Soldier, Street Machine, Terror Star Cognita. Star Soldier sounds like a dodgy porno movie. <laughs> so, so does Terror of the Deep. It does, yeah. And Tomahawk. <laughs> and Tiger Mission, Tomahawk, Tracker. And then the strangely named Zub. There we go. Right, that's it. That's February done. That's been mammoth. That's been a whopper. That feels like we've been doing this for like the last half of my life. Well, it's crazy that we've done in three episodes equivalent of what would have been in last year would have been quite a lot more episodes wouldn't it because we <laughs> yes. did because we did 215 games i think in one year for 1986 and we've just done 40 games in one issue yep so and then we've got another 29 next one <laughs> yeah and not all of them good i'm gonna yeah <laughs> that goes without saying well in, so the ones in the future we'll we'll find out but We'll this, find out. This has been a, actually, actually quite an interesting, I think we're coming to a, quite an interesting pivotal few moments in the, the coming months for the Commodore 64 in terms of um, original versus, you know, licensed. And, and I think we're going to see some, we're going to see some good licensed games. I'm, I'm sure of it. But I know yeah. that we're also, there's also some real, real turds to come. So yeah, there is. Just one last shout out. If you do, like you said, if you like that interview with John here, find the rest on our Patreon. You'll also find other stuff as well. Um, there's, we were, we're, putting episodes out so you can get all your feed from there now if you want as well all the episodes gone on there oh that adverts there's also uh, uh, by this point we will have it on there so i'll say it, there's the interview with chris abbott which you can find on our patreon as well um and all that for exclusive you know, interview exclusive interview with chris abbott of course yes and all that for the cost of a fiver so if you're happy to do that then well, actually, not even a five. It's four fifty. If you're happy to do that, head over there, patreon.com forward slash zap to the past. I think that's about it. I feel very tired. I feel drained. Yeah, same. Um, and uh, we'll we will go away. And we're recording this before Christmas, but um, so now we're going to have a couple of weeks off. You'll have missed us, but we'll be back next week with more insights into the world of the Commodore sixty four. So as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Zapped to the Past, and we will see you again next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zapped to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at zaptothe, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. 
Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.